The SGGQA podcast is brought to you in part by Me Audio. So here's the deal. If you've ever seen me in a live stream or in an interview or some other kind of video, you've probably seen me wearing some fancy earbuds. For the last couple years, my work buds have been almost exclusively from Me Audio. Excellent drivers, fantastic accessories, and both my wife and I had our ears scanned by the folks at Me Audio for custom molded ear tips. Super comfy. The MX line of Pro in-ear monitors is one of the easiest lineups to understand, starting at $60 and built around actual professional use. Detailed sound and durable construction, but also with some fun options like customizable faceplates. Even if you're not working on stage or in studio, Pro solutions like these are fantastic audio options, and they don't need to break the bank. And the company also supports a lineup of consumer gear with options for true wireless and noise-canceling Bluetooth earbuds, adapters for TVs to stream your audio to nicer headphones, and headsets for kids to help control the volume on fresh, developing ears. I can't stress that last one enough. We have to start kids out with healthier listening habits. It's a great combo, high-quality audio gear built by a team of folks with recording-grade use in mind, but at consumer-friendly prices. But of course, I can do you one better. If you shop the kit at meaudio.com and use promo code SOMEGADGETGUY at checkout, you can save an additional 10% over their already competitive prices. Once again, meaudio.com, M-E-E, audio.com. Shop some fun kit, promo code SOMEGADGETGUY at checkout, 10% off. Keep your ears and your wallet happy at the same time. I want to thank the folks at Me Audio for hooking up the promo code. Now, let's get on with the show. I believe this means we are live. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, tech fans of all shapes and sorts and sizes and persuasions, welcome to another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show on the SGGQA podcast channel. And it's the last Monday of the month, which also means it's our pajama podcast. It's a more casual show. I don't have a strict lineup. We're not doing the full news block and the gadget block. This is an open forum, and and this really leans into the QA. SGGQA is a terrible podcast name, but I'm Juan Carlos Bagnell, a.k.a. some gadget guy. That's where the SGG comes into play. But the QA obviously stands for question and answer, and that's where we have these really great conversations. And I'm already seeing a terrific crew here in in the comments. Dave Burns is already trying to derail me. If you caught last week's show, Dave asks like one question right at the beginning, and I think it took us, what, 40 minutes (laughs) to go through? what what Dave was doing. So I feel like it's just become sport. T- this week is absolutely the week where if, if you want to try and uh, get me off on a tangent, then uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty amenable. I'm pretty amenable to that. So uh, hold on. I, I'm just seeing Dave Burns. I'm just the worst. Aren't you a little stinker? Um, we got Barry Johnson uh, jumping into the chat. Uh, Dave is saying my gain is a little high. Okay, no, that's good. I need a mic check on this because the last couple weeks, um, Restream has been giving me some funky audio to deal with. So let me um, let me just kind of knock back a few levels here, and and people tell me if like I suddenly just vanish from the stream. 
Um, but I got the recording back from last week's show and it was clipped so bad. So there is a huge disconnect. Right now, I'm all at like super low levels. Like I am using my Rode Wireless Go at the lowest gain stage that it can send. And I, it, it's still like over maximizing um, on, uh, on Restream here. Like I'm showing it's going out to peak even though I've disabled the auto gain. So uh, here, let me get this out of the way. Dave is saying that's so much better. Please, anyone else, just kind of weigh in. If the audio starts sounding funky, um, it's so much more work. I have to pull the audio from my my transmitter and then fix it for the podcast, the audio version of the podcast uh, later. Uh, lo- lots of questions here. Hold on. McCorkerin is asking, have you been following the issues with the S23, that weird bubble on the display, Wi-Fi issues? I wonder if MKBHD will issue a PSA like you did when the Pixel had bugs. Um, so I am borrowing a Note 23. I might have already lost the Note 23. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, it's over here. Okay, sorry. It was on the wrong table. Uh, a buddy of mine is letting me just spend a little quality time with the Note 23 while they're off in Barcelona. I, I find it telling that my friend who is off in Barcelona let me take the Samsung Note 23 Well, they're shooting MWC on a different phone. Um, I, I've only really spent, I don't know, two days with the phone in my possession and it's fine. It feels like a note. It looks like a note. It quacks and waddles and swims like a note. Uh, I'm going to have a video out tomorrow, starting with some of the camera performance as I'm digging into these quality settings and these huge marketing claims by Samsung 200 megapixels. Um, My voice is already a little shaky because I shot two whole videos before we went live. Like I woke up early just to get some work um, shot ahead of doing the podcast. I've got so much to catch up on. I haven't noticed anything on this note. I, I went looking specifically because there were th- there was a discussion about like laminating issues. And I want to say that that's likely limited to a batch of phones. But if you get a premium tier Samsung device and you notice a defect in the screen, folks, I don't understand this need to run off to like Reddit or Twitter, and then say, guys, what do you think? There's something weird with my screen. Uh, can I fix it? Is there a way that I can, can it be repaired? Or can I do this or that? Just, just send it back to Samsung. Like, if there's an obvious visual blemish or defect on a $1,200 plus phone, don't mess with that. Seriously, don't, don't even waste the time. Get the phone, look at it. If you see that you have one of these kind of like weird screen lamination issues, send it back. Samsung needs to give you the product that you paid for. And that runs true of any other manufacturer. I believe, you know, we've seen limited manufacturing issues in batches of phones on iPhones. We've seen it on every manufacturer. I do not understand this kind of hand-waving like, oh, but it's not really a problem because it's a Samsung. No, it's still a problem. It's okay to acknowledge that Samsung had a problem. Just just get the product you paid for. Send it back. <laughs> That's a bummer. And that really sucks. But I also feel it's it's kind of the counterweight and it's the pressure of Samsung leveraging so much of their value on things like trade-in deals. So you get your new phone, you spend a little bit of time with it, you send your old phone in because you want to get that cash as quickly as you can because we know Samsung loves to play games with people's trade-in values. Um, 
And I think people are a little too aggressive in doing that switch. Get the new phone, use it for a bit, make sure it's good before you send your old phone back. Because then you won't have that pressure of, oh, what, what do I do? Can, can I fix it? Or do you think I need to do this? Or can I take it into a repair shop? Don't, don't. Don't even mess with Reddit and Twitter. You have a business relationship with the manufacturer. They should send you the product that you paid for. But I can appreciate not everybody has access to a backup phone like I do. Um, yeah, I, I was, was trying to talk to uh, one of my daughter's friend's parents at school. And the, the, some of the parents are starting to clue in. Like, every time I see this guy, he's got two phones and they're always different. <laughs> he never has the same two phones twice. So, um, yeah, I'm starting to get that reputation. Um, I, I'm definitely taking it for granted that I could go back like, I don't know, like five years with backup phones and museum phones. If, if I had an issue with the phone that I bought, it wouldn't be a, a problem. I completely appreciate that someone who is just buying their first premium tier Samsung might be anxious about this, but it's the whole process of retail. Like you don't accept a broken product. You get the product you paid for. Samsung QA and Samsung uh, customer service can be a little infuriating to deal with, but that doesn't change any of this equation. All right. I was going to go down the list of people in the chat. I, I'm, and like I said, I'm seeing some some great names and some great faces. We got Cedric, J-Man, ER, Barry, uh, Simon Says Hypno, Dave Burns, Brian Glaze. Ah, so many people. I'm missing McCorkerin. I, I caught that comment. Uh, Al Sabakli. Um, thank you so much for jumping in, Al. Glad to see your face here. Uh, Gormlord, Bray Gray. Bray Gray was just kind of popping in to, to wave, but he's, I think he's got me in on the background while he's, he's trying to do real work. Uh, Snorkel, uh, Ron Guido, JMX Warrior, Raymondit, um, Frank, Frank Gallo and Dave Burns were the first two to pop in on the chat. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in, for joining. Um, uh, oh, Brian Glaze. I'm dealing with a bit of an illness, but I'm making it. I hope you're feeling okay, Brian. Uh, there's a lot going on right now. And it, it, it's been, I mean, not just like pandemic stuff, like the surge of other flu-like and respiratory and stomach bugs. We had a stomach bug go through the house and it burned out quick. I mean, it, you, you hear about like, oh, it's a 24-hour like stomach flu. Boy, howdy, did it drop all three of us. For about 20 hours. <laughs> it was so gross. Um, Svet, Svet, Sveticus is saying, hey. John Gao is saying, hey. Reaper. What's up, Reaper Black? What's up? I, I, uh, glad to see you in the chat. And, and N-Dogs is also saying good morning, too. So um, MWC is kicking off. Uh, we've got the first flurry of, of uh, press releases and announcements coming out of Barcelona. One of the exciting trends is seeing uh, Qualcomm and Xiaomi start talking about more augmented reality. Uh, Qualcomm setting out a, a reference design for an AR headset. Xiaomi also saying like, hey, we're gonna be making a big play on AR also. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's a little silly and it's a little frustrating. Um, I, I love, going to trade shows, but the, the, the sort of um, budget for getting out to a trade show can sometimes be a bit tricky. I've never been one to really lean heavily on sponsorships. One of the issues I have with sponsored travel to events like this is 
increasingly, especially for a channel my size, because it's not like I've got 10 million subscribers and I can just write my own ticket and companies have to pay me just to show up. Um, for a channel my size, now companies are increasingly leveraging your appearance just for their marketing. And I understand that and, and I get it. I'm kind of fine with it, but I have so much going on that I can't take a week to go to Barcelona and then only be sort of in the influencer group for one manufacturer with limited access to the rest of the show floor. And right now I'm looking at, well, if I book the travel and I send myself out there, I mean, I have a wonderful crew of people supporting me on Patreon, but that's like three or four devices that I can't buy if I fly myself out to MWC. And that's also other work here that I'm not going to get to participate with. So like it always seems to work out, like it happened for CES this year and like it happened for MWC this year. I booked another job and it pays well. So I, I should stay and cover my mortgage instead of spending the budget, a huge chunk of my budget for the year to go to MWC. So unfortunately, I've got to sit on the sidelines and, and watch from a distance and just kind of look at all the press releases. I didn't get to do all the fun pre-briefs and go hands-on with those new sexy AR glasses, but I'm hoping that I'll be able to kind of follow up after MWC and check some of this stuff out. Oh, Dave Burns, Juan documenting himself becoming a sellout. Yes, I like having a roof over my head and food to eat for the time I spend on my labor. I don't mean to sound like a dirty socialist, but I do kind of enjoy profiting from the fruits of my labor. <laughs> and I just gleeked coffee all over my lap. <laughs> oh no, it's still dripping. This is excellent podcasting. If, if, if you're only listening to the audio version of the show, this is, this is an intense audio drama involving coffee on my mechanical keyboard. Don't, don't do what I do, kids. Do as I say, not as I do. But try not to have beverages around a flurry of electronics on your desk. It's a bad combo. <laughs> oh, and I got it on my hoodie. Oh, no. I just yelled that into the microphone. I think I just clipped. Sorry. <laughs> this is a pajama podcast. I'm, I'm way off, off track here. So uh, even for not being able to partake in all of the MWC festivities, Juan got that mad drip. Um, uh, we, it's still not like we haven't been playing with a fun of uh, a lot of fun tech gear. Uh, it, <laughs> sorry, I'm way off. Okay, uh, recovering now. So I do want to spend a little time, and we can kind of chat this out. This is the new Xiaomi 13. Uh, Xiaomi PR sent this my way just so I could kind of take it on a test drive. I do want to point out that Xiaomi PR got me really hyped up about all of the amazing camera improvements coming to their new internationally released phone. And they sent me the 13. This is the smaller version of the 13 series. It's not the 13 Pro. Um, I'm very grateful to spend some time with this phone. It is a very nice phone. I would like to say it kind of wrenches a little bit some of the comparisons that I was planning because I have the Vivo X90 here and I have the Xiaomi 12S Ultra. And so instead, I, I really feel like instead of going to MWC, what I'm going to be looking at doing is dedicating a chunk of our budget to if we eventually get an announcement on a Xiaomi 13 Ultra, 
I don't think the Ultra is going to go international. I think it's going to be a Chinese-only variant of the phone again, just like the 12S Ultra was. And I really feel that needs to be one of the phones we focus on. So the 13 Pro is unfortunately going to be sort of missing from that, but I'm going to be bookending the, the more sort of mainstream. This is the competitor against the Galaxy S23, not the Note 23. We're, we've at least got some of those comparison points, and we can kind of look through the spectrum, the food chain of more expensive and less expensive products. Yeah, Barry Johnson, no one-inch sensor. So uh, the Xiaomi 13, oh, I forget what sensor it is. I might, might actually be able to look it up. Barry usually rem- uh, memorizes this stuff better than I do. I, I always forget to track the actual sensor manufacturer, and instead I just kind of memorize what size sensor it is. So it's a 1 over 1.49 so it's ever so slightly larger than the main camera sensor on a Galaxy S23, but not in a way that I think you would immediately be able to see optical differences. It's kind of like the difference between the OnePlus 10 Pro and the OnePlus 11. The OnePlus 11 shrinks ever so slightly, but it's similar optical performance from the OnePlus 10 Pro. It's exactly the same size sensor as what's in the Galaxy S23. Xiaomi did the opposite. They took the S23 sensor and they went just a hair larger. So I think it's a Sony. Um, Oh, wait, no. Is it? No, I think it is a Sony. I think it's a Sony. I think it might be the IMX800 because there's also an OmniVision. That's the 32 megapixel. And there's also the Samsung 10 megapixel on this as well. So this has camera sensors from all three major sensor manufacturers, Sony, Samsung, and OmniVision. Um, but yeah, it's, it's proving to be a handy little shooter. Um, this is still very good, exceedingly good camera performance for what we would think of as a mainstream kind of point-and-shoot photography option. Yes, Barry, exactly. I, I just needed to wait a second, and I knew Barry would be able to, to pick that up. It is the IMX800. Um, Dave Burns, OnePlus 9 Pro is still the king. I, I mean, I, I feel like with some caveats, I feel like the 12S Ultra might still be the top overall photography performer, even against the, the, uh, the 13 Pro. But it, it, it's in, more in the companion sensors. Like, the Pixel telephoto is pretty good. The Xiaomi telephoto is a proper half inch. The OnePlus 9 Pro has one of the largest ultra wides. Again, you start breaking down all of these little minutiae details. Um, but Xiaomi has something here that I think is kind of interesting in this um, Galaxy S23 price tier. So I, I got to review, it's got 12 gigs of RAM with 256 gigs of storage. And internationally, we're looking at pricing of around 999 euro, which is right in line with what we would expect a Galaxy S23. Um, it is like feature for feature, super close, similar 1080p display, similar brightness, similar refresh rate, 120 Hertz, uh, similar collection of cameras, though. I think Samsung might be a little bit better at matching like all the features. Like if you want 4k video at 60 frames per second, those little things might be a little bit better, but this has the IR blaster. If you want to use it as a universal remote. And I, I, I kind of like the flat side design. So I'm, I'm holding this phone up, and I think we can all maybe, let, let, let's, let's let, leave this to the chat. If you had to pick one phone that you think helped inspire the visual aesthetic of the Xiaomi 13, 
What phone and what manufacturer do you think Xiaomi was inspired by on this phone? I'm just, I'm just kind of curious, just kind of spitballing. I'm sure I'm going to get a huge variety of replies to that question that Xiaomi is looking at the competition from one major manufacturer. Who, who, who do we think that they might have like just, just been like uh, stimulated by or inspired by? <laughs> I'm sorry, Snorkel, Snorkel cracked me up. Um, Snorkel says, I don't know, but he put, I don't, you know, so it's like a certain phone manufacturer, the way they always use a lowercase I. <laughs> ER1980 is saying he's, he's looking at some fruit. Carl saying Sony. And I think that's, that's fair because we're talking about flat sides, but I do want to bring this up because I love flat sides on a phone. Um, so here's my, uh, my Sony, uh, my Xperia one. And, uh, I absolutely adore the build on a Sony, but like, if I hold up a Sony, I should turn it this way. I should turn off all of my notifications there. If, if I hold it up this way, this is like a monolith from 2001, a space odyssey, right? So not only just in material choices, but also in that aesthetic and visual choices, like flat. Yeah. And kind of a curve around into the corners, but largely flat sides. Okay. That, 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 that makes sense. I can definitely see that. But then when I pick up the Xiaomi, it is glossy metallic edges with even more curved corners, a specific kind of antenna band, even the sort of rear module isn't exactly like another phone, but it's that curved square look. When Xiaomi's in the past have done some really interesting things, I don't have them. I don't have one up here. But like Pocos especially have done really cool things with like full width camera modules that just looks really cool. They've done some visually um, different kinds of uh, kinds of aesthetics. Like I've got my X5. So my Poco, the Poco X4 had a full width like module on the back for, for the camera. It's, it's a lot like the, um, the iQoo. The iQoo did something similar, but this is a BBK phone. This isn't a Xiaomi phone. We know that Xiaomi has played with other visual aesthetics for mounting camera hardware to their devices. I kind of wish they would come up with a more unique visual style guide for, cause, cause otherwise the 13 is, I think it's a very attractive phone. I think this is a really pretty phone. It's built incredibly well. It feels more premium. How, um, how the back glass kind of fits against the metal edge on the, the Xiaomi 12 T the Xiaomi phones from last year, they had more of a scoop scooped curved glass on the back, but that also meant that they had to like make the rail on the side thinner and you could really feel the seam at the corners. The corners stuck out from where the glass would be seated into the phone. Um, nothing like that. The, the, the Xiaomi 13 feels so much better pieced together than the T-Series phones did last year. So um, I, it's just frustrating because for all of this manufacturing, for, for as beautifully put together as this phone is, it's immediate like the kinds of criticisms and the kinds of comparisons that people are going to make. And unfortunately, I think psychologically that reinforces why people should just go buy iPhones. I think uh, as a manufacturer, they do a disservice to their own manufacturing skill, how beautifully put together this phone is when at a distance, 
someone's going to see this and just think it's an iPhone in a case. That visual language, that visual identity matters because when I take my 12S Ultra out into the field, no one confuses this with an iPhone. I get questions about what this thing is and people want to see the photos that get taken from this because they see what looks like a massive honking camera lens on the back of a phone. No one's going to be curious about the 13. The Xiaomi 13 is not going to turn heads in that brief glance like, oh, at best it's going to be, that's kind of a weird case on that iPhone anyway, and they're just going to kind of move on. And that, that to me is something that I think we, we keep missing the forest for the trees. Like, you're not going to convince iPhone users to move over to your team if you make a phone that looks like the iPhone. All you're going to do is convince the iPhone user that they made the right choice. Look, that, that phone might be better, but they're just copying the iPhone. I bought the original, not the cheap copy. And Android has that reputation of just being a cheaper, lesser than phone. So I, I, that, that to me becomes one of those, like, I, I totally get it. I got a bunch of comments. I had to start censoring, uh, muting a bunch of people who are like, oh, but Chinese phone's bad. And it's a Chinese phone that's just going to wreck all your data and copy the iPhone. And you're like, I, you bring nothing to this conversation. I've got to turn you off. Um, but, the, but the side of that where the more obvious inspiration of where this phone comes from definitely, I think, speaks to some of those Android uh, frustrations. We want phones that are going to be distinct. <laughs> like I want a phone that, that isn't just trying to be as good as an iPhone. I want a phone that's going to be better. Uh, from McCorcoran, uh, it'll be interesting to see if the 12S Ultra price will come down now. The Mi 11 Ultra dropped to like 600 on Giztop when it was a year old. So the, I think the tricky thing with the 12S Ultra is that it was such a late year refresh and it had the Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1 and it had the direct newest uh, camera sensor. So that camera sensor only exists today. The one inch camera sensor that I'm glowing all over also on my Vivo only exists because Xiaomi and Sony spent a lot of money co-developing a solution for phones. I believe Xiaomi's investment was 15 or $20 million into making this camera sensor happen. So I don't, I, I, I do believe it will hit some price drops. Obviously, if they've manufactured them, they're sitting on store shelves, they're just going to want to get rid of them. Giztop also might at some point say like, eh, we had a few in reserve just in case. We just want to get, we just want to fire sale them and get rid of them. I don't know that we'll see as aggressive um, price cuts this year on older phones, especially eight plus gen ones. It'll be interesting to see. I, I really, I'm kind of curious uh, to see how this plays out. It, th for me, the buying the 12S Ultra was really the museum phone aspect of having one of the first major mass produced versions of this sensor. And I thought it would be a better implementation on this phone than on the Sharp. Cause Sharp is the only other company that's been messing with one inch phones. Uh, one-inch camera sensor phones. So uh, that, that's kind of, I veered Xiaomi. I was really close. I was like, man, I could go Sharp. I could go with the Leica, which is essentially just a rebadged Sharp. But I kind of feel Xiaomi's probably going to do this better. And I'm glad I did. Um, the 12S Ultra has been an absolute photography monster. It's just really intensely good. Uh, whew, sorry. Um, 
<laughs> Other people were saying, I think they were inspired by Aiku. I don't think they were. I don't, yeah, it's because, hold on, or do I have, I think I've got the Aiku 11. I, I just held up the Aiku 9 because I wanted to show off that camera module. But I, I'm pretty sure I've got the 11 over here. This is the, again, the, uh, the hilariousness of being a tech reviewer and having kind of a harvest season of phones on your desk right now. And uh, you know, so we've got the, the Xiaomi 13. Here, let me lean back because NVIDIA is being crazy with my, uh, I, I need to reset the crop on this. So we've got the Xiaomi 13. Like, okay, okay, okay. And we've got the Vivo, uh, the, uh, excuse me, the IQ 11. And I don't see much visual language identity. The, the IQ is definitely doing that thing. They both have flat screens. So I, I appreciate that. I love having a flat screen on the Vivo. But the rail is so much thinner on the side of the phone than the flat, flat, flat sides on the Xiaomi 13. So the back curves, it's got that faux leather. And then I, I do kind of like that, even though they're not doing full width anymore, that the camera module on the iQoo on the is at least distinctively different than many of the other sort of corner-mounted camera systems that we've seen. So I, I, I could see maybe iQoo, but... Uh, I don't think they're 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 looking at Aiku much as their top competitor. I think they're looking at one specific company as their main source of competition, and it's not an Android manufacturer. And then they're looking. At... <laughs> oh, ER nineteen eighty. It's one of those things. It's a complete intangible. Um, until you sort of experience a gadget, you're listening to people like me talk about it. I can try and share some of those experiences, but. It's never, it, it, it's never complete. It's why I'm so frustrated with reviewers that kind of latch on to just very simplistic, it feels really good in the hand kinds of conversations. There's so much more psychology that goes into this. Uh, ER writes, I held on to a Sony Xperia 1 Mark IV for a couple of weeks before handing it over to my uncle who I bought the phone on behalf of. Have to say, it felt great to hold that device solid. And there is a distinct difference in picking up an Xperia and using that as a camera over a phone that has curved back and curved glass and is a thin rail on the sides. I am terrified using my Xiaomi 12S Ultra or my Vivo, my Vivo X80 and X90, those curved screens, thin rails. It's supposed to trick your fingers into you holding a smaller device. I don't want my fingers tricked into holding a smaller device. And the Xiaomi 13 reinforces that. The Xiaomi 13, I'm holding onto this phone. I'm good. I, I have a grip on this device using it like a camera. And the only other phone that kind of, I, well, I believe the phone that kind of set that standard was Sony. Really, really flat. Um, uh, oh, I've got it over here again. Really, really flat, uh, broad, just... Oh, it feels like a like I'm really holding on to something, and then you throw just a little bit of a bumper case on it, and it really is. It's it's one of the best ergonomic photography experiences you can have with a phone, um, and that stuff matters because if you're getting really intense like I do, I'm running after Lex or I'm rolling around in the dirt to get a pretty flower macro shot or a snail shell or something like that. Man, I am thinking about the Vivo. I am thinking about the Xiaomi and I'm just kind of taking my Sony for granted. Like it's just there and it's ready to do the job. 
So it, it, it's there's a lot that goes into that ER. I, I completely agree, though. It's such a beautifully constructed phone. <clears throat> so this is a good crack question, Reaper. Um, I, I kind of want to... Uh, let's go to GSM Arena. Because I, w- I want to pull up the 13 and the 13 Pro. So Xiaomi 13. Great. I already had it there. And Xiaomi 13 Pro. Um, and I- I'm not going to read off all the specs and stuff. But uh, when, when we're going between these two here, there we go, screen share. So from the 13 to the 13 Pro, we move up in resolution. So we get the 1440p display, but we're keeping roughly the same screen specs for 120 hertz and a peak brightness, 1900 nits of peak brightness. Uh, the Pro has Gorilla Glass Victus versus Gorilla Glass 5 on the Xiaomi 13. They're both rocking Snapdragon 8 Gen 2s. But really, when we're talking about the difference between Pro and Ultra... I'm sorry, the Reaper asked, Juan, they put all the great specs on the 13 Pro. What's left for the 13 Ultra? I, I, I know I kind of mentioned that. I went right off into answering the question. So we've got similar megapixel numbers on the main camera. A 1 over 1.49 inch on the 50 megapixel, a one inch type on the Pro. But we really wanna start digging into like the telephoto performance and the ultra wide performance. And that's the area where I feel some of these camera systems can be improved. And then also the rumor might be, and I know Barry has been really excited about this, is that the rumor on the Xiaomi 13 Ultra is going to be a variable aperture. And that would be a huge perk on this one-inch type sensor. So we saw that um, first on Galaxies. I have a Galaxy S10e. It's a smaller sensor. It's a 1 over 2.55-inch type sensor. And the difference between F2 and F4, I think it was like... It, it was it was only like a like a stop or two that the the phone cut light. It wasn't profound, but it did help, especially in super bright daylight conditions. You got a longer depth of field, you got better clarity, you could manage your shutter speed a little bit easier. That two stage aperture was a big perk. We later saw that same kind of two stage aperture arrangement on the Xperia Pro I. And when you go to a bigger camera sensor. That really matters. Being able to stop down and cut, you know, half as much light from the equation means you can really, you know, sort of rein in your shutter speed. Your video quality improves. Like all of those things. That's why cameras have this iris control. But it was only two stage. And then we saw with Huawei a more fluid variable aperture. And I got to play with one uh, up in Sonoma. Uh, I, 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 I got to just kind of mess around with it. I didn't like use it, but um, I, I got to, you're around other techies. So he was like, hey, yeah, I've got this Huawei. And you're like, oh, I want to see that variable aperture. And it does. It does exactly what the claim is. But that had, I believe it was a 1 over 1.56 inch type sensor. So they went with a smaller sensor, not smaller, but a medium sized camera sensor so they could put in all the machinery to, to do this variable aperture. If the 13 Ultra is combining a one-inch type sensor with a even just a two-stage variable aperture, that would be a huge improvement. One of the trouble spots on a one-inch type sensor 
this is pulling in significantly more light per second than a smaller censored phone. For your photos, that's okay. I mean, if you ramp up your shutter speed, you, there really aren't any significant drawbacks to the kinds of photos you'd shoot. So you can, you can shoot with these crazy fast shutters. But for video, if you try to shoot cinematic at 24 frames per second and you're in bright daylight conditions, your video looks like garbage. You have to use such a fast shutter that you're, you're hyper isolating and you're, you're, you're delivering this hyper clarity per frame that looks really choppy at only 24p. You can't use a 180 degree shutter on a one inch type sensor in bright daylight unless you've also got a rig where you can really pop on a good neutral density filter. But if you could stop down the aperture, you wouldn't have to have that rig or that, that filter. You could just go directly in camera. You'd have a longer depth of field, but your video is going to look smoother for using a longer shutter speed. When we're talking about an ultra phone, that to me would be a compelling upgrade over the previous generation of ultra phones. And it would mean, that to me would also mean like there's a good reason why we've got a 13, a 13 Pro, and a 13 Ultra. Let's see if I can take a drink of coffee without spilling all over myself. Uh, yeah, see, McCorker and I was the same. I really liked when Xiaomi has a distinct big camera lens in the back, centered on the back, or Vivo having that really unique aesthetic color. They stand out. Uh, the Xiaomi was the one that I think really caught a lot of my daughter's friends' parents' eyes. I think I'm just going to say really caught the other parents' eyes. I, you know I have a kid. <laughs> I'm not talking about, like, my parents. Um, th that phone really stood out. Uh, it stood out almost to a degree that, like, like the classic, like the Honor 8. I still think the Honor 8 was the phone that I was asked about the most when I was using it out in public, but the Xiaomi was close. And then there was an immediate conversation that you could have where I'd say, like, yeah, this thing is a camera like nothing I've ever, I've ever seen before. And you can immediately go and do like a photo comparison. I had a dad with an iPhone, an iPhone 12 Pro, just like, yeah, but I mean, Apple and processing and it's not, you know, like the sensors or I just carry my DSLR. And the second you take a photo side by side, man, those, those like ingrained marketing talking points, like all of the advertising that someone has consumed from Apple is immediately challenged. Like there's no place to scurry. <laughs> you know, there's no little, but yeah, but we shot this photo of, of your kid. I shot it from my phone and you shot it from your phone. And what are we looking for in terms of processing? He's like, well, yeah, but I didn't use a portrait mode on mine. And you're like, that wasn't a portrait mode. That was the natural focus fall off from the lens. Do you want to see a portrait mode? Because we could do that now on top of this natural background blur. Oh, uh, but the HDR and blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, yeah, but your phone is all splotchy. Like iPhone photo processing and JPEG is kind of garbage. Zoom in. Look at the details on our eye. He zooms in and he's like, yeah, it's got that paint dab because the iPhone is using a ridiculously high ISO when it doesn't need to. And then it slams the noise reduction and then tries to sharpen that information after the fact. And then I take my phone 
and the photo of his kid looking right down the lens of my phone camera, and I zoom in, and you can see our reflection in her eyeball. <laughs> and he's, well, but, uh, you know, like, the highlight's over here. And you're like, really? You're zooming into the out-of-focus bokeh balls behind your child to look at the slightly brighter highlights that still aren't blown out, but they're just brighter than what your iPhone captured. And that's what you care about for a photo of your daughter, not that the photo of her was incredibly better, <laughs> but that the out-of-focus bokeh balls. Oh, no, I'd, I couldn't use that Xiaomi. Oh, no, I got to stick with my iPhone because the less depth of field is better. And, and that's like, after that, you get to the end of that, and you're like, that's fine. You can still like your iPhone. I'm not trying to tell you to not like your iPhone, but... Let's not pretend that this isn't an evolutionary leap in photography performance. And, uh, yeah, sorry, I went through all of that. The Xiaomi 13 Pro gets to benefit from that stuff, too. The Xiaomi 13 um, has been very good. I I actually really like this partnership with Leica. Uh, When you go into a Xiaomi and you switch it to Leica Authentic, man, I do not like Leica Vibrant. It is such an aggressive, social media, pukey, saturated pop. Um, And it reminds me of kind of two generation old Samsung, where like greens become kind of yellow lime, reds really get magenta-y and kind of clippy and orange. Um, But you switch it to Leica Authentic, and it's as... It's so much more camera-like. It is so close to like the kind of muted and conservative photo processing that you would see from an Xperia. Only you also get the benefits of some larger camera sensors. Leica and Xiaomi working together on Sony camera sensors is such an incredible, it's such an incredible uh, uh, collaboration. And, and similarly, now we've gotten a little bit more uh, mature on Vivo working with Zeiss. And I think with Vivo and Zeiss, Vivo is way more interested in aggressive processing and really fun features and background blur and low-light computational photography. It's very aggressive compute work. But again, you dig through some of those settings and you go and shoot a RAW photo on this new X90 and you're like, this is really camera-like. This is so much more camera-like than... Um, than I've ever seen from a phone outside of a Sony, but with a larger sensor. So it, it, it's to, to not see this, this, uh, this evolution or to try and just like, well, yeah, but I mean like Samsung and 200 megapixels, that's going to be the best. Probably you're, you're totally missing all of the fun and all of the interesting optical evolutions that make smartphone photography so much more competitive. And then again, there are all of these people that are just like, oh, but Apple are going to flip out whenever Apple does eventually get to an even larger sensor. See, we said, I mean, like, uh, but Apple was going to do it right. <laughs> they haven't been doing it right for years. This is so bad. Why are we pretending that this is even competitive? I know. I, I mean, I get it because Apple videos pay the bills better. And you definitely don't want to upset Apple PR if you're on the list. Um, You know, that doesn't make for a good review, though. That's just fan service. All right, one more drink of coffee. Hey, folks, are you getting bored of the current collection of tech and geek commentary on the Internet? 
is the discussion of new electronics feeling a bit stale. Do you want to find some fresh voices to add to your subscription queue? Check out the community on r glowing rectangles on Reddit. Now, this subreddit was built to help new voices in the tech community find more audience, and we need your support. Sharing, commenting, and those precious, tasty upvotes. Reddit can radically help a content creator expand their reach. Do you know a producer who deserves more attention? Do you just want to find fun new stuff? Head on over to reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles and share or browse to your heart's content. Once again, reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles, and let's build something cool together. <sighs> Ronald Sim saying, I wish, I wish Samsung had gone for a one inch on the Note 23 as well as the rumored 4K screen option, truly make it worth $1,000 plus. So here, I, I do want to highlight this. I am no fan of Samsung. I have had absolutely miserable experiences with Samsung PR. I feel they are punitive. I feel the entire corporation and organization structure is run not like a mafia family, but has some very significant impacts on the stability of foreign governments in ways that we should be really concerned about. And we really got to highlight Samsung is about to do horrific damage to right to repair initiatives here in the United States. It is very likely it will come to pass because of Samsung that we will have fewer options to repair phones economically and with a, a broader choice of parts and materials to use in those repairs. I do not like Samsung. I think Samsung's success comes at the expense of every tech enthusiast experience that we claim to hold valuable. My experiences with Samsung PR are very similar to John Redinger's experiences with Apple PR. Only I have no incentive to keep talking about Samsung products with any kind of reverence because I don't think Samsung deserves that kind of conversation. I don't believe they are leading the market in the way that they claim they are. I think they're just buying their position through billions of dollars of marketing. That disclaimer out of the way, the Note 23 is absolutely a $1,000 phone. It is currently, in its, in its completed state, this is worth it. This has the combination of features, the quality of manufacturing, the display, uh, a good collection of camera sensors, even if it's not the best collection of camera sensors. But this is a very specific, expensive workhorse phone. We don't just say $1,000 good or $1,000 bad. If you ask me, again, I'm a North American. And so supposedly we only have two phone brands to, to consider. It's Samsung or Apple. I don't like either, so that's why my YouTube channel does such garbage traffic, because I have no desire to really talk about either manufacturer. But if you pin me down and you say, you have to spend $1,400 on a phone, I would go with the Samsung, because I value the compute experiences with the S Pen. I love having a stylus. That is a great feature to add to a mobile pocket computer. And I really like Dex. Dex isn't the best, Moto Ready 4 is the best, but again, this is the hypothetical magical land where we really have eliminated all choice and competition from the market in the way that major tech YouTube channels like to pretend the market really exists. That you can only say Samsung and Apple are worth it and everyone else is like a weird, they just want to make bad phones that don't sell. That's the logic that goes into that other commentary to sort of appease the YouTube algorithm. 
I do believe the Note 23 is a $1,200 phone in its current state, but it's not a $1,200 camera phone. If you're telling me it's you, you really value optics and photography, I'm going Vivo, I'm going Xiaomi. <laughs> like, it's not even close. I am running, not walking, to a one-inch camera sensor. But if you tell me you want kind of a, a balanced set of pros and cons and you value compute work over photography, Note 23, all day, every day. I mean, it really is a champ at plugging into a monitor and using it like a desktop. And we don't really have a lot of those other options here. Motorola has not brought a successor to the Edge Plus to the United States. I think that then we'll have an interesting fight between Dex and Ready 4, but that hasn't happened. Right now, the Note's it. But that's why we've got to be specific. The Note is a crown jewel productivity phone. Uh, Vivo X90 Pro is a crown jewel photography phone. They are completely different experiences, but I, I, I genuinely believe they're both worth a thousand dollars or, or more. They're both worth over a thousand dollars. Sorry, that, that it's just always so gobbledygooky to get out of my face. Again, I really don't like the company. I really don't like Samsung. I really don't like how they do business. I really don't like how they treat their customers. And I'm most offended on behalf of the people who are most likely to defend Samsung business practices when they're the ones who are most directly being hurt by Samsung business practices. Oh yeah, McCorkerin. Sorry, just backtracking to phones holding their value, uh, Michael saying the, the Vivo 80 Pro Plus seems to have maintained its price on the resale market, at least if you're shopping from the United States. The fact that they're Chinese only, that means that Vivo and Xiaomi can very aggressively control the perceived value of those phones. That they didn't put them out internationally means that they can sell them in one market, in one region, at one price. And that's better for the manufacturer. It really is. It's the exact same thing that Apple does. But in Android land, we seem to think that there's this meritocracy of phone value and that it should be half the price in like four months. And that's only because Samsung has worked so aggressively to devalue their own products that no other Android is allowed to ever just live at the price that it should be sold at for the company to maintain a decent profit margin for us to keep getting new phones. That's why so many other competitors kind of get driven to the periphery and eventually, like LG, just knocked out of business. It's not good that a Samsung is half price months after its release. That's really bad for the perception of premium Android if we want to claim that these devices genuinely deserve to be uh, talked about in the same tier as the glorious iPhone. That was me gesturing with my hands. Hey, my tech review. What's up? He's, he's giving us a hand waving there. I'm, I'm hand waving right back at you. <laughs> I'm way behind on the chat. <laughs> this is hilarious. I'm sorry. We were going to talk about the Xiaomi 13, and I really had more to say about that vote, but we're, we're, we're off and running. I love it. I love it. I love it. Keep, keep with the comments and the questions. This is way more fun. Oh, Paul. Yeah, man, for reals. Uh, Paul the T guy. So, Juan, you miss when brands had wild design choices like the pop-up camera, etc. We've missed 
so many wild opportunities to kind of create different phone experiences. Um, the pop-up selfie camera, I feel, was an was an answer to a problem that no one really had. Someone who cared so much about an uninterrupted or unbroken screen, but also wanted to have a good quality selfie. I know the OnePlus 7 Pro still seems to be this this phone that people hold up as like peak OnePlus. And if you're one of those people, I don't want to make you like the OnePlus 7 Pro less, but there was so much additional engineering and manufacturing that went into that for it to be kind of just the same phone. You have to have a motorized selfie camera stick up out of the phone. And, and a lot of those folks missed the phenomenal improvements to the main camera sensor on the OnePlus 8 Pro and just the astounding collection. I still think the OnePlus 9 Pro is one of the best shooters of its era. And people slept on that, and they slept on one of the absolute best Android photography experiences of that year. It is so good. It was so good. It is still competitive and outperforming newer phones today. I have a Xiaomi 13 here. This phone is remarkably more powerful, runs more consistently. It doesn't thermal throttle as bad. But my OnePlus 9 Pro has an astoundingly better ultra-wide camera and has a main camera capable of shooting 4K video at 120 frames per second. And when you shoot your kids at 4K 120 and you come up with this ultra-lush, rich 4K at one-quarter speed, I did an Easter egg hunt in, like, 85 degree heat, my daughter's running, and you see these little girls like tackling each other like rugby players and knocking each other down in 4K slow motion, and it was shot from the OnePlus 9 Pro. That's something you cannot recreate on any other phone. Sorry, tangenting. Paul, the features that I think we kind of miss, um, we could have been using alternative screen tech. Uh, like the, there was the, the ZTE that had screens, a screen on the front and a screen on the back and kind of like the Xiaomi Mi 11 ultra had a little ticker screen on the back. The Nubia had a, it was sort of like three quarters the size or was it two thirds of the size? I can't remember, but it had a full screen on the, the full back plate of the phone so that when you went to take a selfie, you didn't have a little selfie camera you took your selfie from the good camera on your phone. And I think Asus also showed us something radical with um, one of the Zen phones that had the flip-up camera sensor. So that kind of stuff was, was so much more exciting. And then you get into everything else, too. Like, I've got... I almost always have an LG within reach just to look at, like, dual display. You know, this is a case that can also double your screen real estate. We've, we've lost all of those really fun can we do more with our phone experiments? And now we're kind of in a new era of streamlining again. Let's get, let's streamline. We're going to, we're going to charge you more than you've ever been charged for a phone in the past, but we're also going to get rid of a whole bunch of features. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great combination? Don't worry. Your phone's more powerful than it's ever been in the history of pocket computers, but you just do less with it. You can use that extra power for less stuff. But don't, but don't worry, we're also going to charge you more. You see, isn't that, the, it's a win-win. And that's what makes me sad. Is like, we got to an era where I really felt like we were right on the precipice. Phones could seriously displace tablets and laptops and professional cameras. Like, we were 
right there. And then the entire industry just went like, nah, iPhones don't do anything. Let's just copy iPhones. And it's such a bummer. It really is. So far behind on the chat. Doop, doo, doo. <laughs> oh, wow. Simon says Hypno. My mom is really enjoying the OG Xperia 1 I just got her. I think I still have the first gen, the Xperia 1 Mark 1. And it was. It was a really pretty phone. I mean, seriously, like, you could go back. The Xperia 1, I definitely have the 1 Mark 2. That one's behind me on the bookshelf. Um, I don't know if I still have the 1 Mark 1. I mean, really, like, they were so far ahead of the curve on power management and display. Like, the big improvement to the Xperia 1 Mark 3 was just getting a brighter screen. I, the, the higher, the faster refresh rate. I, I'm sure that a lot of people um, appreciate that. But for me, it was just like, the Xperia 1 Mark II is a little difficult to see in direct sun. And then the 1 Mark III came out. I was like, oh, that problem's fixed. I'm good. <laughs> like, this phone is baller. So if you're not really using it like that out in challenging lighting conditions, the Xperia 1 Mark I is still a phenomenal piece of gadgety uh, technology. Um, from Murder... I saw a reviewer get video out from the Razer game device. He plugged it into the console USB-C directly without the gamepad uh, in the way. I don't remember if you noticed that. Yeah, we've been talking about that. So TK and I have been talking about the Razer Edge a little bit more on the Best of Our Week podcast. Uh, I have it right over here. And if you, um, if you watch my Razer Edge versus Steam Deck video, I don't... I don't think I spell out explicitly, and when you take this controller off and put in a cable, you can do video output. But I definitely mentioned that the Steam Deck is more immediately compatible with other accessories like displays. And I show the Steam Deck, you know, plugging in one of my wearable displays, one of my glasses with, you know, lenses and video in it. Um, and that, to me, is one of the bummers where... I really wish that there were extra ports on the Razer Edge, like a headphone jack built directly into the tablet instead of the controller. That kind of stuff would make the Razer Edge more usable in more situations. Like I was saying, like you could do so much more with your phone, but now it's like we've got to jump through even more hoops to get to that processing power. Um, but I've been playing a ton um, on this Razer Edge. I have to kind of back off because you see I'm old, and I'm old and bitter. And uh, I, I, I have really bad psoriasis, and that manifests in some psoriatic, psoriatic arthritis. And the Steam Deck is so chunky that my hands kind of wrap on the thumbstick better. But the, the, this also holds true for the Nintendo Switch. The Razer Edge is so little, and the lower-mounted um, thumbstick on the Razer Kishi causes my right thumb to like lock like I actually have to pull it and almost it feels like I'm almost dislocating my thumb if I play for more than like 30 40 minutes it will eventually get to a point where I can't move it until I pop it again um that's real bad <laughs> but just don't ever be old like me and then you won't have that problem <laughs> So one of the ways that I've been playing more with the Razer Edge is actually with um, my uh, uh, Steel Series. I've got the Steel Series Duo, and I'll 
plug that in and I can use my Steel Series controller with the Razer Edge. Man, even the Mona Lisa's falling apart, right? Uh, let's see. Jman150, do you think Sony will ever do a clamshell and or foldable? Yeah, that's a really good question because I think the focus for Sony, you know, whenever we have a question about Sony, the first thing I think we should ask is, how would this benefit a Sony Alpha mirrorless camera? Because right now, some of the most exciting advances on the Xperia 1 Mark IV are actually how it can be a companion device to one of their full-frame cameras. Like, you can plug a cable in to the newest Sony Alpha, and it just becomes the display for the Sony Alpha. You know, things like that, there's a very clear um, collaboration. The Sony Xperia team is directly under the Sony Alpha team now, it seems. They're not doing, I mean, they're still a, a heavy presence in gaming, but there's not as much of that PlayStation DNA. This is a camera-centric phone with very specific professional camera features. So we would want to ask, where would a folding plastic, more fragile device fit into a lineup of professional camera gear? I'm not saying that won't ever happen. I'm just right now, in the near term, like over the next two years, I don't see where there's a heavy inspiration or a heavy influence to make that folding plastic Sony experience. I could be totally wrong if the PlayStation team decides that they want to work more on those like play anywhere kinds of features, right? You can game stream from your PS5 to your Xperia device over the magical 5G. It doesn't really work that well, but you can do it. Well, then it would maybe make more sense to start looking at a folding tablet. You know, this is a phone when you want it to be a phone. And then when you can sit down and really use that data connection, it expands. And now you can play your PlayStation games with your PlayStation controller over your PlayStation 5, over the 5G. That's where I think we'd maybe see a Sony folding phone play. But um, I don't see that happening right away. I don't think the PlayStation team is really that concerned with the ecosystem of Sony products supporting that kind of game mobility. I mean, I'd love to be wrong on that. that that'd be really cool, I think, to see their take on it. I just don't think it's something they want to spend a ton of, uh, of R&D. Because also, the Sony Xperia team right now is profitable. Even for a pretty disastrous fourth quarter across all Android manufacturers, I think the Sony phone division still made money pretty decently last year, which I think Sony just kind of wants to keep on that track record. I don't think we're going to see anything crazy revolutionary on the Xperia 1 Mark V. I'm just hoping we see some camera sensor size improvements, and they don't even have to be substantial. Like, I don't think we're going to get a Pro-I with the Xperia 1 Mark V announcement. We might get it later in the year. Um, but I don't think they need to do much. Genuinely, if you could give me an Xperia 1 Mark IV with just a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, that would be a fine upgrade to then just keep at the same level. <laughs> like charge me the same keep 512 gigs of storage for roughly what is it $1400 keep the headphone jack keep the memory card slot keep the beautiful build same screen the variable telephoto is phenomenal that is one of the best zoom cameras on a phone today all of the cameras can shoot 4k 120 video and then just give it to me with a better chip 
and that's still a $1,400 phone. I'm good. I'm here for that. Sign me up. If I can get some other improvements, like a bigger main camera sensor, awesome. But I don't want to sacrifice what the Xperia 1 Mark IV already does phenomenally well. Oh, Cedric. I, I mean, I wish this too. This is more an issue with Android 13, I feel. Uh, Cedric says, I truly wouldn't mind spending $1,200 on an Xperia 1 Mark V if they include a proper desktop mode. My PC is aging itself out, and I need something to do content creation. So it, it's a bummer because Android 13 broke the basic alternate view desktop mode that Android has. And I haven't found a phone yet on Android 13 that can open an app in that desktop view. All of the app drawers are broken. So you can't, you, you get the alternative display. It, it properly scales to the monitor that you use it on, but then you can't use it for anything. And if I just had that, I'd be happy on the Sony. I mean, it, it, it's a bummer that you don't have decks and you can't do full compute work and you can't do all that stuff. But when you're working kind of one program at a time and you can still use your phone as the phone screen, just as a regular Android device, it's still handy to have that, that dual view. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think that's going to get fixed. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think that's a Google problem. I think Google has like kind of let that desktop mode go because they want you to also buy a tablet. Why buy a, a $1,400 phone when you can buy a $1,400 phone and a $1,000 tablet? If you need the same compute power, just buy two versions of the same compute power. See, isn't that better? I really feel, Cedric, I, I just feel upset that you're so against capitalism. <laughs> Why are you such a dirty socialist wanting more out of the products that you buy? <laughs> But Grounded Tech, at least Sony still has video out because we lost that on the OnePlus, uh, the OnePlus 11. Um, I'm way behind on this chat. I am so sorry. I'm just now catching up to folks talking about variable aperture on the Xiaomi 13 Ultra. Because uh, I mentioned Barry has been hype train for uh, any news on the 13 Ultra. D uh, again, I, I was so caught up in just using the Xiaomi 13. I wonder... Uh, well, first, if I could spell Xiaomi 13 Ultra. Uh, so I'm not seeing anything that I think would be a reputable. Like I, I'm seeing like rumors and there was a leak that that looked like what what a camera module would have looked like if it were a 13 Ultra. Oh, excuse me. Coffee burps. Super gross. Yeah, I'm just seeing the same things from like two weeks ago, four days ago. Someone has a case for something that looks like the 13 Ultra. Gizmo China. Um, so if we pull this up um, and then scroll this down. So it looks... Um, uh, so if this is, to, if this is accurate, the, the 13 Ultra looks like it's going to be similar to the 12S Ultra, big circular dial on the back of the phone. And then someone is holding what looks like a mock-up or what would have been a prototype of this. And if we look closely in here, I believe the, the bottom right sensor, when, when you're looking at the phone sort of as the camera stack, the bottom right sensor looks like that's going to be um, a prism. So that, that's the, uh, the periscope telephoto. 
then I would imagine on the bottom left, would that be, I guess that would be the ultra wide. But then we have two similar size cutouts in the middle. And I'm not sure if there would be, no, I, I don't think there would be dual one inch sensors. Yeah, I'm not sure. According to Gizmo China, rumors have claimed that the Xiaomi 13 Ultra will have a quad camera setup, which will be headlined by a one-inch 50-megapixel Sony IMX989. Uh, the, main, the main snapper is said to be equipped with gimbal optimization. So if we're going gimbal stabilized on a one-inch sensor, I don't think we'll get a variable aperture. I think that's going to be way too much mechanical tomfoolery. Um, but I'm not sure why we would have dual, like, I don't know why we would use a quad camera setup. So that bottom left sensor could be the one inch sensor. And then we'd have two other sensors. Cause that's, what's kind of funny about the 12 S ultra is the, the big sensor in the middle, the big lens in the middle of the phone is the ultra wide. The one inch sensor is actually tucked to the left. So when you're, when you're facing it, it's the sensor on the left. So I guess we'll see. <laughs> my, my hope is we see a mechanical advantage that is based on photography. And that would be variable aperture. I really want that variable aperture on a one-inch sensor. Um, gimbal stabilization would be fun. That would be really cool. But I'm not sure that that would really pull me from a 12S Ultra. I, I mean, like, the video on the 12S Ultra is remarkably smooth. Um, if you've caught any of my camera conversations on the 12s ultra it is so easy taking the one inch sensor hand holding it out in front of you from the wide camera not from the ultra wide and doing a walk and talk i've done that so many times and i've shot so many samples of me i'm just kind of holding the phone shooting blind and lining up the shot and getting phenomenally smooth walking video it's real easy so I'm not sure that, I mean, a gimbal stabilizer will definitely improve on that, but the major contribution to smoother video is really software cropping. If you really want the smoothest possible video, it's not hardware that's doing that, it's software. Um, so I, I'm not sure that the gimbal stabilizer is gonna be, bring a huge benefit there. It might bring a bigger benefit to low light photography. Like if you're using a gimbal stabilizer and you're holding still and you're using software processing for a night mode, and the sensor itself is better stabilized, you can achieve an even brighter image with an even shorter um, uh, shutter speed or a shorter capture time. But I think we've already seen like a three second exposure in super raw mode from a Vivo X90 Pro with a one inch sensor is way too bright already. So I don't think we need to make that much better. I really feel like the, the more mechanical improvements will come from things like variable aperture than gimbal stabilizer. Ah. All right, Hassam is saying, hey Juan, uh, would either work with any of the carriers here in the US? I, I'm on Mint, which is backed by T-Mobile, and I have reasonably good experiences on LTE. None of them, so none of my international or import Chinese imports have really done well with 5G bands here. 5G is really just kind of a carrier lock-in tactic IMO. Like you, you, 
you can prevent people from bringing other phones to your network because they won't support all of the myriad numbers of 5G bands. So that that's kind of a bummer. But I get terrible LTE reception in literally in my home. Um, I get really good 5G reception in my home. But as soon as I go to like a more uh, sort of populated area, when I'm not like out in the hills in the burbs, um, when I go into a more populated area, the LTE, the LTE support has been pretty good. I don't know that you want to import a phone just to keep it on LTE when we know all of the network upgrades are going to 5G. But if you want to play with something like this, it's been usable for me on T-Mobile. I think AT&T has become the most punitive. Um, I think it's the hardest to get an import phone working consistently on AT&T. And Verizon's somewhere in the middle. Like, if you catch a Verizon rep on a good day, they can get that LTE assignment swapped over pretty quick. If not, then maybe you got to jump through a few more hoops. But Verizon has actually gotten better than AT&T, in my opinion, in getting other phones onto their network. Oh, ER1980, that's good to know. Uh, ER says, Ben's gadget reviews absolutely loved using the telephoto lens on the Xiaomi 13 Pro at 3.2x as per his video today. So the only thing I don't know, because I would imagine that the... Um, here, let me pull up on GSM Arena again, because I don't, I don't have the Xiaomi 13 Pro, so I don't know what sensor is being used. Um, no, not Xiaomi 12S Pro. Come on, Xiaomi... 12s ultra there we go because one one of the advantages and it's something that i i really feel we've done a terrible job this isn't a criticism on ben first of all split what i'm about to say go subscribe to ben's gadget reviews i've been loving his coverage he's been doing great work and i think he's genuinely taking a balance between real world consumer point and shoot photography and testing phones consistently that is huge. I don't think, like Grant, I think is also another one who does this really well. I don't think a lot of your popular tech YouTubers do a very good job of consistently taking the same care in testing all of these different phone cameras. And it seems that they always seem to take more care in composing and producing photos and videos with two brands and not the others. But I digress. One of the things I've, I've really had difficulty getting a handle on, please someone correct me in the comments or just if there's, there is the data. Right now, if we go to GSM Arena, I cannot see what the telephoto is on the 13 Pro. It just says 50 megapixels, 75 millimeter telephoto, 3.2x optical zoom but I don't know what sensor that is. And it very well could be um, one of the sort of smaller, uh, one over 1.27 inch type sensors, where when we go to the 12S Ultra, oh, it would help if I had it on the screen. <laughs> I'm really good at doing the podcasting, sorry. So this is the, in the middle, I'm, we're looking at three phones. One, the, the phone on the left is the Xiaomi 13, phone in the middle is the 13 Pro, and then on the right is the Xiaomi 12S Ultra. So if we go down to the 13 Pro, the telephoto is, is a 75 millimeter equivalent 3.2X optical zoom, 50 megapixels. 
Then we go over to the right, and this is the 12S Ultra, but look at the extra specs that we see on the 12S Ultra. 48 megapixels. Uh-oh. Oh no. The, the 13 Pro has two more megapixels than the 12S Ultra. So I guess the 12S Ultra is just garbage now because you need the more megapixels, right? That's how megapixels work. Let's go back into this real quick. What I don't have are the pixel pitch and the sensor size. So the 48 megapixel is a periscoping telephoto with a proper half inch sensor. So this is a 1.6 micron pixel size when you shoot at 12 megapixels, ignore the 48. The 48 megapixels can kind of help a little bit when you're cropping, you know, so when you go from, uh, what, what is it? Um, 5X, five times zoom to like a 10 times zoom, you, you, you do get some resolution advantages as it kind of rebends the pixels on that sensor, but really the main benefit is using the whole sensor at its native resolution, which is really 12 megapixels. It's not 48. So when you go in there, you have 1.6 micron pixels at 12 megapixels, and this half-inch sensor is bigger than most of the telephoto sensors on other phones. It is demonstrably larger than the 13, and something tells me that the 13 Pro is probably using a 1 over 2.5 or a 1 over 2.7. It's using a smaller sensor than the half inch on the 12S Ultra. The 12S Ultra is also going to have a lot more reach. It's got that periscope. This is a really big chunk of glass. I keep putting phones down and I'm not paying attention to where I'm putting phones down. Nope, that's the Vivo. Ah, here's the Xiaomi. So when you look at the, the incredible depth of this camera module, in part, you need a ton of extra space for a half inch sensor to then also have a periscope lens that has to run additional length. I'm getting smudges all over my 12S Ultra. So I'm, I'm sure there's some processing advantage and there's like a good balance between what they're doing, but both of the companion sensors on the 12S Ultra are true half-inch sensors, one over two. Um, I don't think the 13 Pro is using a half-inch sensor on the 13 Pro, and it's not using nearly as sophisticated a periscoping lens, so you end up with a shorter focal length, 75 millimeters versus an equivalent of 120 millimeters. That's all pros and cons. Someone might, I, I really do think you'll get a better head and shoulder portrait of a person at 75 millimeters. It's roughly like an 80 millimeter lens and those are really good portrait lenses on full frame cameras. But if you're talking about reach and low light performance, being able to soak up more light at a significantly longer focal length the Pixel, the Pixel 6 Pro and the Xiaomi 12S Ultra are two of my absolute favorite indoor telephoto sensors. Because you can reach across a living room and get like a close-up on someone's face. And in low light, you've got much bigger sensors to soak up more light. They're not great for taking photos of the moon. They really aren't. They're not moon zoom. But they're so much more practical in challenging light conditions to capture candids of people in action. So, sorry, that, that's 
all down the rabbit hole. Ben, phenomenal. I really enjoy his videos. There are so few tech reviewers that I just like, I'm going to settle in and I just want to hear what he has to say about this stuff. His coverage on the Vivo X90 Pro Plus, mwah, chef's kiss. He's been doing great stuff on the Xiaomi 13 Pro. This is really why I'm getting anxious and getting excited to see if there might be a Xiaomi 13 Ultra because I think I'd rather have the larger telephoto sensor if we, if we can take that space on the inside of the phone. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Got one comment on that and that took us down an entire rabbit hole. I, I, I'm so far behind. Let me catch up on the chat. Just a quick interjection here, folks. I love highlighting good work and talented people, producers and writers who deserve more attention. So here's a quick word from someone making cool stuff on the internet, and I hope you check out what they have to offer. Hey there, Juan, and hey there, you. This is Jason Howell from All About Android over at the twit.tv podcast network. Juan has been a guest on All About Android a number of times. In fact, we have awesome guests on the show each and every week, and we'd love for you to check out the show if you haven't already. Twit.tv slash AAA is where you can go to find new episodes of All About Android. Each and every week, we talk about the top Android news, hardware, apps. We have a reviews portion called The Arena. It's very competitive, but in a fun way. We have a really great time doing this show, and we would love for you to join us sometime and check it out. We get uh, journalists from throughout the Android world joining us. We even sometimes get Googlers who are actually making Android on the show to talk about what we love so much about the world of Android. That's twit.tv slash AAA for new episodes of All About Android each and every Tuesday. All right, Juan, back to you. Oh, Al Sabakli, I totally believe it. I got a lot of glances on my Mi 11 Ultra on the tube. It was such a unique phone. I really only got to play with that phone for like a week. Um, actually, I should harass TK. Because he said he was going to go back and revisit the Mi 11 Ultra, and I don't know if he has. Um... <laughs> I don't know what you're asking in detail, but it's kind of funny. I'm just going to read this comment. Mama Bagnell do be a techie, though. Wouldn't be surprised if she gets curious about the camera bump on your phone. If you mean my mom, I think she's still good with her OnePlus 6T. She really hasn't felt any burning desire at all to switch up. But she has been talking a little bit, especially with Lex getting a little older now, too. And she has uh, another grandchild now also. It might be nice to have a phone that has a better camera on it. So we might be talking her into a Pixel for her next phone. I think she would vibe. Going from the 6T, any phone she goes to is going to be a radical difference anyway. So it's not like there's any advantage to staying with a OnePlus. Like, it doesn't, it's going to be a, a significant change, no matter what. Um, so I think, uh, we might take this as an opportunity to say, like, if you've got to switch up the phone and it's going to be a dramatic change anyway, uh, maybe a pixel seven or a pixel eight, and then you get that real good camera action for your point and shoot photos of your cute grandbabies could be kind of fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sora Hunter Juan, how dare you take good photos? You should just surrender to Sam Apple. And I, I don't want to, like, totally yuck someone else's yum. I'm playing with the, the Note 23. 
there are some some improvements. There are some advantages over the Note 22. No one should ever um, take what my criticisms are and me, seem to mean that I don't think the Note 23 is a good phone. But I really want to kind of highlight some of those practical differences. So, like, okay, here we go back into GSM Arena. I, I want to show this off because I feel like the... Uh, I actually have to type Galaxy S23 Ultra. Because it's not an S23, it's a Note. It has an S Pen, it has a different screen, has different charging, has different cameras. It's not an S phone. It's a Note. If it walks like a Note, if it waddles like a Note, and it quacks like a Note, it's a Note. But I do want to show this off. So the Galaxy S23 Ultra, Xiaomi 12S Ultra. So in the middle is the S23 Ultra, and on the right is the, S, uh, is the 12S Ultra. And we go down to these cameras. I'm going to make sure that I put the cameras on the screen this time. Um, main camera sensor, one over 1.3 inch type sensor versus a true one inch type sensor, uh, 200 megapixels. That is just so silly. Uh, but then we look at the companion sensors and this is where things get kind of frustrating for me. We've got a periscope telephoto, 230 millimeters. So it's twice the focal length of the periscope sensor on the 12S Ultra. And you think, okay, well, that's huge. That's moon zoom. That's really exciting. It's a 1 over 3.52 inch type sensor against the half inch sensor on the 12S Ultra. So what does that mean? The sensor on this Note 23 is not quite or, you know, sorry, is just a, a hair bigger than half the size of the sensor on the 12S Ultra. So when we look at similar lens arrangements, you take a lens and you use a smaller sensor with that lens, that focal length, you get, you get the equivalence of more reach. Hold on one second, I got to drink some more water here. So that's really cool. You get more of a zoom because it's, it's a different uh, focal length equivalent. But a tinier sensor is not as good at soaking up light. And so in those practical situations where you pull a phone out of your pocket and you see some from someone across the room and you want to snap that photo and it's a really cute moment, you don't want to shove a phone in their face or distract from them, that 1 over 3.52 inch type sensor is not good indoors, dim lighting at night in mixed cozy home lighting. Like we don't have production lamps on us all the time to really capture our family moments. And so I'm happy to trade moon zoom to get the better performing low light device. And, and this is where I feel we've done such a huge disservice as techies because we focus on the resolution, 200 megapixels. We focus on the zoom. 10 to 100 times moon zoom. And then we've missed one of the critical comparison points. Because if you want to take a photo of someone indoors on a Samsung, you really got to crop from the main sensor. In low light conditions, your photos forced from those tiny little telephoto sensors, not as good. And it was the same problem I had with the Vivo X80 Pro. The Vivo X80 Pro has a pretty good portrait sensor, and you can use that in some mixed lighting. 
But if you want to reach and you use that little Omnivision sensor, those sensors are garbage. And then from there, Samsung just lies. And this is one of the other frustrating things. I don't feel they need to misrepresent their product. But if we go back into this, the actual resolution on the telephotos, they are 10 megapixel sensors. But if you snap a photo in auto mode, Samsung upscales them to 12 megapixels. You don't need to do that. That's fake resolution. It is, is a complete gimmick and it doesn't make the photos any better. When you upscale that resolution, you don't get more information out of the sensor and you don't get more detail in the photo. You'd be fine. And the photos would probably take up a tiny bit less space in your storage, but Samsung keeps playing all these ridiculous games with marketing metrics and specs on paper that haven't really changed the photography experience substantially, in my opinion, since the S21 Ultra. Like, the S21 Ultra is still a remarkably competitive phone, photography-wise, compared against today's shooters. Like, that's not controversial. It was way ahead of the curve on a lot of these technologies. So, I don't know. It's, it's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I keep saying I'm going to catch up on the chat. Let me go. I'm going to go all the way to the current chat and then kind of scroll up a little bit from there. Um, I think someone did dig up. Yes. Okay. So Simon says Hypno, uh, looking at the 13 Pro telephoto, it's the 50 megapixel Samsung. So it's the SK, S, S5KJ. It's the JN1. Okay. So the JN1, like, like uh, Simon says here, is a 1 over 2.76 inch type sensor. So we've got a good lens. We've got a smaller camera sensor, but that means they don't need to dedicate as much space in the phone assembly because they're using a smaller sensor than what the 12S Ultra has. Now, the JN1 is a really good sensor, and it does play with um, HDR processing in a way that I think is probably more advanced than the half-inch sensor on the 12S Ultra. But in terms of optical performance and low-light performance head-to-head, -head, I'd still personally lean half-inch, especially with the way that they've arranged that periscope uh, camera lens. Um... Oh, yeah, I saw that, too. McCorkerin says that Ben's gadget review was also very bullish about Xiaomi's AR glasses. I, I really need to harass the folks at Xiaomi after MWC. When they came out with a concept, it was over a year ago, they showed off a concept, and I was not dignified in harassing Xiaomi PR. Like, as soon as something like this exists for people to go hands-on, I need to do that. Um, and they're like, oh, it's just a concept. We just put out a video. It's not a, a real product yet. And then like a year and a half later, it's like, okay, now I need to harass him again. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Ben Langston, what would you like to see? Uh, what would you like to see Google do next with the Pixel to take it to the next step? Um, in terms of photography, again, it's pros and cons. Like the Pixel 7 Pro is a really good telephoto performer, but I kind of like the Pixel 6 Pro's telephoto better. And I am basing this on a very specific kind of home, indoor, candid photography. Um, it, it's, it's maybe not what consumers, average consumers, 
are going to be interested in. They want to be impressed by how far the zoom goes. Uh, I would definitely want a higher quality ultra-wide. Um, I would love Google to take a page out of Sony's playbook with 4K slow motion. Because I don't think it would be a benefit on a Pixel to shoot true 4K 120. So like on my Sony, if I tell it to shoot 4K 120, it saves a 4K 120 frame per second real-time video file. And it looks aggressively, obnoxiously sharp and super fluid. You don't really want to share those videos. They don't look good. They look really hyper-fluid and edgy. But then you can play with time. It's so easy to drop to 60 or to drop to um, even 24 frames per second for a one-fifth speed slow motion. But I would love to see Google take the practical benefit of a high readout sensor and give us 4K slow motion. So you could say 4K at one-fifth speed. You don't, have to let the, you don't have to make the user process any of that or put it into an editing app or do anything funky. It just saves the slow motion file. And Pixel is already kind of doing something like that with the cinematic pan mode. You get a Pixel and you kind of hold the product and you slowly pan across a scene and then it delivers a slowed down 4K video. I want them to just take that full step. I want to go into slow motion mode and go, you know, 1080p at 480 frames per second or 4K at 120 frames per second and then save that slow motion file. I think that would be a really bold novelty for consumers. Because, I mean, I'm telling you, if you haven't really played with 4K 120, and you claim to be into smartphone cameras, you're missing out on something so fun. It is so fun to shoot family videos. My daughter's running around the zoo, and you're not sacrificing resolution. It's not potato quality 1080p. It is full 4K but it's so dramatically slow. And you're like, oh, it looks awesome. It's things like um, you know, how video can get really crunchy looking when you're shooting lots of busy details. I've got a, I've got a video from the OnePlus 10 Pro of my daughter kind of splashing in this bubbling fountain. It's just her hands, and there are these little bubble jets, and you see all these little water droplets. In every 1080p video, the compression and artifacting would make that look kind of messy. It would still look cool that it was in slow motion, but it wouldn't be crisp. And on the OnePlus 10 Pro, it is crisp as she is scooping water into her hands and splashing it up. And it looks so good. <sighs> it's one of my all-time favorite clips of my daughter out playing, and it's just her hands playing in a fountain. I think something like that could be really fun. I, really, it, it, my, my, my hopes for the Pixel 7, I mean, excuse me, my hopes for the Pixel 8 are just kind of catching up to some of the more the more traditional raw compute power expectations. The Pixel 7 Pro is an absolute monster device that performs way better than its Geekbench scores would indicate, but that still doesn't mean that we couldn't see some benefits. Like, I'd love to see a Tensor with modern CPU cores produced by TSMC. I really feel, again, like whenever Samsung succeeds in the market and Samsung's partnership with Google is really good for Samsung, I don't think it's good for the industry. I don't think it helps Google as much as it helps Samsung. And this is what Google has to do to not make Samsung worried about competition in North America. 
we might sell more Pixel phones, but it's going to be with Samsung screens and Samsung sensors and Samsung SOCs. And right now, Google is the only manufacturer putting a premium tier Samsung chip in their phones. Not even Samsung is selling a phone with a premium Samsung chip. This is not good for Android. It benefits Samsung to the expense of everyone else. <laughs> Sorry, Ben, that didn't really answer your question as directly. Hold on. Let's see. Um, McCorcoran saying that Flossie Carter had good luck with imports on AT&T, but it's hard to trust it. So getting the phone on the network isn't the issue. I used to have incredible, I used to have a fantastic relationship with AT&T PR for Southern California. And then AT&T cut a lot of those marketing initiatives. So they used to have like sort of glo like global AT&T and regional AT&T and then like city, like township AT&T. And we, I had a really great relationship with the PR firm that was covering just Los Angeles proper. Back then, AT&T was the best option for getting import phones working on their network. Technically, that's still true. A lot of those network benefits that AT&T had still exist. But what AT&T has done is switched over into whitelisting devices for their network. And so if your device gets put on a list, it as not being like an official AT&T phone, it can just get bumped off their network with no real warning from AT&T. So you can import the phone, get it working, it's gonna work, and then they can just kick you off if they feel like they need to. Um, and, and that's what's upsetting, that's what's frustrating, is the network itself, especially for LTE performance, should be really good, especially for phones built more for like the South Korean region, if you wanna import phones from there. But I, I'm, I wouldn't do business with AT&T if you don't feel you can have a consistent connection on a phone that they didn't sell you. And you would think that that would be an anti-consumer business practice, but we don't have regulators empowered to really go after mega corporations with those kinds of moves. Um, from Muppinish, Juan, do you believe that Sony will release a new pro iPhone this year? I don't know. I really hope they do. Um, we've been starting to see some of the, some of the leaks, rumors, and like renders on what the Xperia 1 Mark 5 might look like. And it doesn't look dramatically different than the 1 Mark 4. This would be a really good year for Sony to, to refresh the Pro. An Xperia Pro 2, the Pro II. <laughs> um, this would be the perfect year to do that. Sony already has their commitment with Xiaomi to develop their own one-inch type sensor. The Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 is, is a good upgrade for reliability and thermal uh, consistency over the 8 Gen 1. All the rest of the phone bits are on point. You know, Sony has all of the screen and the headphone jack and, and the data port. Everything else is good to go. Um, this would be a great year for them to take that step. So I hope they do. The reason why I'm not like super confident on that is this is also a year that I think is going to see very poor sales numbers over the previous two years during the pandemic. So companies are going to be reluctant to pour a ton of money and engineering and resources into 
the most exotic devices. So if they do, I would also not be terribly surprised if a Sony Pro I2 or a Pro II or a Pro 2 or whatever we're going to call it. I kind of like just calling it Pro 2 knowing it's Pro II because I think that's kind of funny. Um, I would not be terribly surprised if a Pro 2 was a Japan-China-only phone. Because that's the markets they know they're going to sell out a limited-run manufacturing on those devices. If they try to send a Pro 2 to the United States, they've got to make a certain number of phones, get them to retailers like B&H, and then it's very likely those phones will just sit on shelves. The USA is such a not-desirable market. <laughs> like companies are not looking at the USA with any kind of incentive to send their most expensive products here because they just don't sell. And again, we've been conditioned to think, oh, well, it's a $1,400 phone. It needs to be half price with a free sandwich after a month. That's how you sell phones. That's how you compete against Samsung, which is so stupid. <laughs> it's the dumbest ever. When you see a bunch of like big sales on a Sony, that's not good. That's not good for the market because it meant that they made phones for the United, United States. Those phones didn't sell and now they're just sitting on store shelves. So Sony did a price cut and now Sony's going to be even less incentivized to bring another exotic, exciting, uh, premium tier solution here to the United States. Oh, Paul, uh, man, from your lips, uh, us Brits complain about our signal a lot. It's still nothing like what you guys in the States have to deal with. We have no regulators, at least in the UK, when there's issues with different competing carriers, you've got regulators on top of all of that, man, we have, we have given up so much power and authority in our national distribution of telecommunications equipment to companies that have no incentive to compete. It's so frustrating. Um, so I'm just catching back up with the chat again. Yeah, a few more people confirming the telephoto sensor on the 13 Pro. Um, from Carl, Carl Gunderson, I find the GSM Arena is unreliable in terms of looking up specs, but I've also noticed before that they have specs on phones that aren't even le leaked or launched yet. Um, I still, you know, you're, you're not wrong. I've found numerous errors in the listings on GSM Arena, and then it's on us to, like, send them an email. You know, it's not enough to, like, go to GSM Arena and be like, oh, they got that spec wrong. Oh, well, guess I'll do nothing. Um, they're human. I mean, they are, they are managing the world's largest database on phone specs, and they're bound to get a lot wrong. Um, what I think is interesting is when we see sort of the delay on what the expected or the rumored specs were, and then when the phone launches, data isn't updated. Like, the Xiaomi 13 Pro is going to be a big enough deal that I would expect they would put that kind of camera tech into their listings, but they don't on this phone. I, I'm, just, it's, it's, I'm always kind of caught by surprise when a phone which should be a bigger deal doesn't get updated as consistently. So that's why I was just kind of surprised. And, and again, I don't have one. Um, anyone who wants to, you can dig into your camera settings, look at like some of the EXIF data or, or the uh, captured data with your JPEGs. And you can kind of figure out too, like, well, what, what kind of sensor is this and how big is it? 
Um, it's really not terrifically difficult, but since I don't have one, I can't confirm <laughs> what the what the the hardware is. Um, Oh man, so there are so many questions here. Aditya, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know specifically about what you were commenting on from what I was saying. The hole is smaller for the light to enter. Did I get that right? If you're talking about variable aperture, you can make the iris smaller and that lets in less light, gives you a longer depth of field and it means you have to use a longer shutter, if that's what you mean. Um, if you're talking about sensor size, then yes, the hole on a smaller sensor or the iris on a smaller sensor would also be smaller than the iris on a larger sensor. Cause I don't think, yeah. Like if I, th if, if I'm looking at the 10 megapixel on the note 23 has an F over 4.9 aperture while the 48 megapixel on the 12 S ultra has an F four aperture. So you would think, well, they're pretty close to the same size, but that's not how aperture works. <laughs> um, the aperture relates to the actual focal length of the lens. The F is focal length. So you would have to know not the equivalent focal length, not the 120 millimeters or 230 millimeters, you would have to know what the real focal length of that lens is. And this is what's really frustrating to me. I actually had a conversation with one of the editors at GSM Arena that they play fast and loose. You tell us the equivalent aperture, but then you tell us the real, I mean, no, you tell us the equivalent focal length, but then you tell us the real aperture. And those aren't, those aren't related. So if I take the equivalent aperture of 230 millimeters and I divide that by f4.9, that is absolutely not <laughs> the aperture on the phone. That aperture would be bigger than the entire lens assembly of that camera. What's five divided by 230 in terms of millimeters, right? That's, that's a simple math problem, f over 4.9. So you look at f over 4.9 for the Samsung and f over 4.1 on the 12S Ultra and you think, oh yeah, it's maybe like a half stop different, but something tells me the lens on the, on the 12S Ultra is a lot bigger than the lens on the, the, the Note 23. It probably has a larger focal length. So the aperture on the 12S Ultra is probably like two or three stops faster. If I'm just spitballing, if I'm just trying to, you know, like do loose calculations in my head, um, there would be a significant difference <laughs> in crop factor, equivalent focal length and practical aperture size. And that's how these numbers get misrepresented. You know, I have a, a Lumix over here. You know, I've got, uh, th this is here. Let me, let me hold this up. This lens right here is 16 millimeters F 1.4. It is equivalent to the optical characteristics, field of view and depth of field of a full frame camera at roughly 30 millimeters at f2.8. That's what changes when we start moving around sensor sizes and equivalent focal lengths versus real apertures. The, what it looks like, it looks like a full frame camera at uh, f2.8. So you've got to go significantly larger aperture 
on micro four thirds to recreate the same look as a smaller aperture on a full frame camera. And the same thing holds true for smartphones. F4, F4 does not look the same across all of our different sensors. A, a phone with an F1.8 aperture does not look the same across all of our different size sensors because the focal length, the real focal length of the lens changes with every sensor size change. <laughs> oh, Paul, hold on. But, but one, if we lose moon zoom, how will we see what the moon looks like? You expect me to use my eyes? I'm not saying moon zoom isn't fun. You set your phone up on a tripod, you can take a decent photo of the moon. It looks like a blurry smartphone photo of the moon. It's, it's cool. I'm just saying, what are you likely to use more? And, uh, uh, th there's an argument like, okay, so we're talking about moon zoom. If you are in super bright conditions and you want to get a better view of your kid playing soccer, that to me is one of the practical benefits of the note 23. By going to a 10 times zoom, you've got a lot more reach than you will on a pixel seven pro or a Xiaomi 12 S ultra. That's cool. That's great. I'm really not Again, when we talk about photo quality from tiny smartphone sensors and tiny smartphone lenses, I'm pretty good with the five time zoom on the bigger sensors, capturing more pixel level detail, giving me a little bit more room to kind of crop from equivalent distances and equivalent focal lengths. And I like the image clarity better, especially when the lighting isn't perfect. And, and that I think is a fair comparison. The Note 23, bright sunlight, soccer field, it's probably going to be the better shooter. If you're playing in the late evening, I don't think those little sensors are going to do as well. Even for the extra reach, you're going to get poorer quality with how those sensors soak up light, especially for action. You're trying to freeze action. You want to be able to soak up as many photons as you can. Smaller sensor, fewer photons. Yeah, Aditya, I completely agree. Three to four times zoom is that sweet spot for indoor telephoto. I mean, it's real good. Uh, Raymond is saying, I wish 8K on the Pixel 7 Pro. I have not found as many like clutch experiences, like really using uh, the 8K. Uh, again, I, it, it's something that I'm going to be digging into here on the Note 23. There is a clarity improvement. It's not, it's not snake oil, but the phone has to work so much harder. The file sizes get so enormous and your ability to edit those files becomes incredibly more complicated. I haven't found where all of that effort really amounts to a better consumer photography or even professional sort of videography experience over really, really good, high-quality 4K video. I'm definitely balancing some compromises. 8K video is sharper, but I can't cut 8K from my phone, where I can edit those clips directly from the phone, even in 4K 120. LumaFusion on, on Android will take a 4K 120 clip and you can change it into whatever timeline you want. You can crop into it, you can slow it down, you could speed it up if you wanted it to be faster. It's remarkable what Luma can do. Not very many 8K video clips will load 
into a, a smartphone video editing app. Um, 8K clips have crashed Kinemaster. They just show up as question marks in PowerDirector, and then they just the the, the audio will uh, load up on LumaFusion, but you often won't get the actual video file. So it sort of defeats the purpose of shooting 8K. So I, I don't want to talk down 8K. It's just our, our opportunities to really use it are hyper-specific. And even when I'll be looking at those situations where like, hey, this is like, I need the utmost video quality, I still don't know that I would opt for 8K from a phone. It's tricky. It, 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 again, it's like we 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 kind of haven't crested that where we can make 8K as practical um, as 4K currently is. Because 4K right now, we can do so much with 4K video. Um, oh, Brian Glaze asked us, so as a follow-up, what question uh, outside of the camera, what do you see the next Pixel, what do you see the Pixel doing next? Um, I really feel like Pixel is increasingly going to separate itself as a platform for software features. So whatever Google's initiative is next, where I feel like the assistant is probably going to start picking up more conversational chat interfaces. Like right now, you do Microsoft Bing chat on an Android phone, you get that that sort of uh, AI conversational back and forth going, and it's pretty cool. I think that's actually going to be the next phase. The Pixel is going to be the tip of the sphere. Let's show you what the assistant can really do. Let's really finish up some of those assistant features where it can like book restaurant reservations for you. It's really going to be services. And I don't think the phone is going to be a radical hardware departure from where we currently are. I'd love to see just a little spruce up on the ultra-wide camera. I'd like to just see continued progress on some of their current initiatives for... Um, uh, for, for like uh, co-processors and AI and machine learning. But I think it's going to be a very modest direction for hardware where hopefully we'll see more radical initiatives in software. <laughs> oh, Tech Love and Mama's giving everyone a wave. Hey, Tech Love and Mama. <laughs> All right. Let's see... Oh, John Gal. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're using these not as a reviewer, but as like a proper daily driver for your own needs. Uh, John says, I've always been, I've always been importing Xperia's from China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, but I'm hesitant to do it again because of the carrier certification BS. I really wish Sony will still release the Pro i2 in the United States. If they release a Pro i2, man, I don't know. I mean, th this one, I really feel like it could be a coin flip. If they see some interest or some pre-orders or they see some activity where it's not just people going, I didn't know Sony still made phones. It's so hard to say. How do you even say Xperia Pro II? I don't know how letters work. Oh, but I shot this on a Sony Alpha A7 Mark IV because that's really easy to figure out. But Xperia Pro IV, <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know how, how hands work. I'm such a scamp of a tech reviewer. And like, if you ever see that, just turn that channel off. <laughs> I mean, like that person is not going to contribute to your education in any way. They have no experiences to share. They are, they are, are awful. They're bad at photography and they're bad at tech. Um, okay. So, um, I, I really do feel it could be a coin flip. If we see this phone sell out like crazy in China, it might get a broader distribution. And then we'll have to see if there's interest in Europe 
maybe they'll dedicate some some units to the United States, but I do not believe that Sony is going to put any priority on the United States. It's going to be really conservative this year because they just they're not going to spend 4 billion dollars on marketing just to get people to consider their phones. They're 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 not going to move the units to put that kind of effort behind it. Hey, podcast listeners, I work really hard to find mutually beneficial ways to support production on my various distribution platforms. Instead of just running ads on this podcast and hoping they don't annoy you, I want to find products or services that you really will get something out of and that can help fund my production. While I do talk about some of those items in ads throughout this podcast, I've never created one easy-to-view master list of my current partnerships until now. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. If you'd like to help contribute, support production of this podcast and my various videos and reviews, head on over to somegadgetguy.com. At the top, there's going to be a link for support some gadget guy, and you can see what my current partnerships are. At the time this podcast was recorded, in addition to my Patreon, we can hook you up with a $10 voucher for shopping a new OnePlus, save 20% on some one more headphones, sign you up for Google Fi service, Amazon affiliate links, Audible, or you can grab a Mega Pickle coffee mug of your very own. Mmm, savory, delicious Mega Pickles. Head on over to SomeGadgetGuy.com, support banner on the top right-hand side of my website, and hopefully you find something cool, something you like, while also kicking me a little extra scratch. <laughs> Aditi and L. Juan, you are like TK levels of being behind on the chat. <laughs> I'm really bad at this. <laughs> Uh, Simon says, Hypno, Juan, did you get a Magic 5 Pro to review? Interested in the camera and that new battery tech claiming more battery life than the iPhone 14 Pro Max. Well, it's really not as much of a challenge to beat the iPhone 14 Pro Max. The iPhone 13s were better battery life competitors. Apple, again, we should know this. We should have this as immediately accessible in our gadget techie brains that all of the improvements to the iPhone 14 Pro it's a poorer performer for that sort of thermal throttling, high level performance. Battery life was better on the 13s and on the 14 regular non-pro using the older Apple SoC. So beating the iPhone 14 Pro Max isn't really as difficult as people are like, whoa, they're claiming it's going to beat the iPhone. Like, well, the iPhone 13 beats the iPhone 14. So that's not really crazy to suspect that we'd be able to like find a, a stage of daily driver use where you could undervolt an 8 Gen 2 and then have like a super monster mode when you need higher performance. That's what the Xiaomi actually does really well. If you look at Geekbench scores, it's like a 25% reduction in CPU compute power, but it feels exactly the same. And then you go into high performance mode and it's you get like a 30% bump and you're like, okay, you can kind of see it. Like, it does complete video rendering tasks even faster. Um, not like it was pokey in normal balanced mode. So I, I haven't... I, I, to answer your question, I, I don't have a Magic 5 Pro. I'm going to follow up with Honor. Um, I really didn't get to spend as much time with the Magic 4 Pro as I wanted to. 
And it might come down to maybe I, I want to look at importing if there's going to be like a Magic Ultra instead. Um, I, I really feel like the daily driver stuff in the international releases are really good mainstream pro phones, but the exciting stuff is happening in very limited quantities with limited distribution on the more ultra-tiered devices. And that's, that's what I want. Um... <laughs> Simon says, Hypno, it's not the size of the sensor, it's the motion of the OIS. That doesn't rhyme as well, but I, I, I know what you're getting at. <laughs> um, let's see. So, I mean, Pete, Ray Monitor saying, I'd love to see a software update to get 8K on the Pixel 7. What I really want to see on the Pixel 7 is them to give us a high-resolution mode. They advertise the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 7 as having 50 megapixel sensors Except you can't really shoot a high-resolution photo. You only get 12 megapixel photos out of it. So if you're going to advertise 50, I do feel Google is in kind of an actionable position. Hashtag Team Android, hashtag gift from Google. I feel they are actually in a class-action, actionable position, putting 50 megapixels on the marketing with no ability to shoot a 50-megapixel photo. Oh, and everyone give Dave Burns a shout. He says he's having one of the worst days at work I've had in a while. Oh, I'm sorry that my podcast is probably making that day worse. <laughs> oh, EMC2. Uh, this is an interesting question. Juan, are you still using the Intel Ghost Canyon Nook? If so, how's it holding up? Prices have dropped a lot, and I'm considering picking one up for a living room PC. The Nook Extreme, that Ghost Canyon, still rocking my socks. That is, uh, which one do I have? I have the 9th Gen Core i9. So it's the big boy box from that generation, and it's still using uh, a GTX 1660 Super. I have to eat all the crow from back when I was at Newegg, and every week we were playing with some new top-of-the-line, like, you know, 3080... Or Actually, at the time, I built it. I was still... Like, it was in the transition to the 30 series, and I was still on a 2080... I'm still on a 2080 Ti on this main workstation. Um, I was kind of shrugging off. Oh, you know, all I could get at the time was a 1660 Super. I really wanted a 2060 instead. That little Ghost Canyon Nook has been such a champ for 1080p gaming. So I've got it plugged into a 4K TV, but, like, you set the, the resolution to 1080p, 1080p 60 on almost all the titles that we like to play... Marie and I finished up It Takes Two. I was playing uh, uh, Hellblade. Senua, uh, I can't remember the tagline on Hellblade. Senua's Sacrifice or something like that? Anyway, some pretty graphically de graphics demanding games of sort of the last two generations or the last two years of PC gaming. And then on top of that, my daughter's just been super into um, like indie and arcadey titles. So she got her first clear. I don't know if I said this last week on the podcast. She used my account, so I have everything upgraded. So it's kind of a cheat, but she's only seven. And on her own, she got her first clear, level clear in Vampire Survivors. And she did that on a controller on that Ghost Canyon Nook plugged into our TV so she could just, like, lay back and run around um, with one of the characters to fight all of the little monsters in Vampire Survivors. But... Um, we also cleared uh, TMNT Shredder's Revenge on that Ghost Canyon. Um, it's pro I mean, my combination, the, 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 the thing holding it back would probably be the GPU. 
So if you're looking for beyond 4K gaming, I really believe that Core i9 has more oomph to give. And if you can get a small form factor GPU to fit in that Nook case, and you can step up to like a 2060 or something even a little beefier, like especially a 30 series would be awesome in that shell. I think you'd be in for a better uh, sort of 1440p gaming experience. Like you could easily climb up to, to quad HD um, gaming. Uh, the box has been a champ. The only thing I don't like is if you're building it and deconstructing it a lot, like I had to take that box apart like four or five times, the little screws on the case are miserable. I mean, it's, it's like you've got this beefy nook box and then it's almost like jewelry screws <laughs> to open panels. You only want to build the box once. <laughs> so, so like pick your GPU, put everything together, get your RAM, your, your SSD, get it all settled because um, you're not going to want to tear into that very often. I've stripped two screws on, on that nook now, um, and uh, that's, that's a bummer. I think Cooler Master used to sell a, a nook extreme case specifically for that generation nook, but I don't think they carry it anymore. So yeah, I've really been digging it. it, it it's, been, it's been really fun. Uh, let's see. Catching up on the chat. Ooh, Simon says Hypno. Okay, so it's the Magic 5 Prestige with a one-inch sensor. Let's see if we can pull that up. Because before we completely tap out, and I know the show's going to run just a little bit long while my voice might hold out, uh, Magic 5 Prestige. Because anymore, it's not even, do we have, um, do, do we have the one-inch type sensor? I've got two phones with a one-inch type sensor. I'm feeling really good there. What I want to see is, does the total package line up? Because that was one of the things that was good, but not necessarily great about the Magic 4 Pro. I want matched sensor performance. This is something the Pixel does really well. It doesn't have the bestest specs for every camera mode, but every camera mode is supported on, on all three sensors. 4K60 is applied to all three sensors. It's a big bummer on the Xiaomi 13. The ultra-wide can shoot 4K 24. But if you're shooting 4K 60 from the main sensor and then you want to just open up the field of view, if you switch to the ultra-wide, you can't shoot 4K 60 anymore. So you have to memorize this flow chart of what camera sensors get what features with what support. And that takes you out of creating. That interrupts your flow capturing content. And instead, you're thinking about the operation of the phone, not your composition or photo or video. Oh, excuse me. Um, okay, so yeah, they've got the Honor Magic 5 Pro, but I want to see if they've listed anything on the Honor Magic 5 Prestige. Oh, they haven't. So the Honor Magic 5 Pro has a 1 over 1.2 inch type sensor. That's pretty beefy. Um, 50 megapixel... It doesn't say what periscope, and it doesn't... Oh, it does say on the ultra-wide, it's a 1 over 2.5 inch ultra-wide. But it doesn't say what the sensor is on the periscope. Yeah, I'm going to have to... I know some of the editors at GSM are going to be like, Hey guys, what's up? You, know, you want to you wanna kind of tell us some of these specs? Because they have a review out on the Honor Magic, uh, Magic 5 Pro. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be handy. I, I would like to know that information. <laughs> I can't find anything, like, just beyond, like, 
sort of general rumors on let's see if magic five prestige um, yeah, so if rumors are to believe, there could be an Honor Magic 5 Prestige Edition as well, which is said to support the one-inch Sony sensor. So there, there's, there's nothing on this legit yet. It's all just rumors. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a bummer. Oh, Roth, Roth Sothy. It is so much fun. Shredder's Revenge. Pizza time! Um, yeah, my daughter had very little interest in traditional console style gaming she does not like using a controller she likes touchscreen gaming off of her tablet shredder's revenge we rolled credits on shredder's revenge that was super fun <laughs> gorm lord she <laughs> she's gonna be a pro gamer status goat poggers before you know it oh man i hope so it was something i'd really like to share with her but her attention span is very limited so again she will sit through three or four levels of shredder's revenge she won't finish one board on Tetris. Uh, so again, it's, it's very, she's very specific about what kinds of games she likes. So the only thing I wanted to wrap up on is because we put it in the title. I was completely way off on the OnePlus concept. Um, let me see if I can... So OnePlus sent out the press release. Um, but let me just see if I can pull it up here uh, on another... Let's see... Oh, this is hilarious. Let's see what Business Insider had to say about the OnePlus Concept phone. Okay, so the OnePlus Concept teaser came out, and we saw these, like, blue wavy lines on the back of a OnePlus 11. And I think a lot of us rightfully thought, oh, okay, this is going to be like, uh, you know, OnePlus is going to go after nothing. The Nothing phone has this glyph interface with these flashing lights on the back of the phone. That must be what OnePlus is doing here, too. They're putting flashy lights on the back of the phone. During the Best of Our Week podcast, I was kind of snarky about, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's going to be cool, but I just don't understand why RGBs are such a big deal. So that's not it at all. <laughs> I'm going to chug my last little bit of coffee here because I was hilariously wrong, and, and I love it. I'm here for it. Because we got something even more exciting out. So let me screen share over here. This is Business Insider's coverage of the OnePlus concept. Uh, and this is really interesting. So the OnePlus concept is actually a new type of cooler technology. It uses a piezoelectric. Now, they're calling it cryogenic cooling system. And there are also, a lot of people are saying like, oh, well, it's got like a, like a fancy liquid cooling kind of technology in there. And that's kind of true, but not really. Really what we're seeing in here is a thermo, a piezoelectric or kind of a thermoelectric pump cooling solution. It's kind of like a combination between the sort of chambers that we currently use, like vapor chamber kind of a technology. And then also the cooling pads that we'll see on phone coolers or controllers. Like I've got the GameSir X3, it's got a pad. You plug it in and that pad radically drops in temperature and a fan just sort of belches out any of the heat and the, the pad stays really, really cold. You can drop your phone temperature like several degrees very quickly on one of those cooling pads. So if we miniaturized that, it's not gonna be as effective, it's not gonna be as aggressive, but we can still get a very similar cooling mechanism ha uh, happening where a miniaturized piezoelectric heat pump solution is pulling heat away from the SOC um, and, and putting cold 
next to that assembly. And that's actually what we're seeing with this OnePlus concept. These wavy lines are to indicate that the phone is using the electrical cooling mechanism to try and draw heat away from the thermal, uh, the, the, the thermal challenges internal on the phone. Now, this isn't a radical concept. Um, this would be significantly more expensive manufacturing than, uh, than what our phones currently use. I mean, you are talking about more aggressive electrical components to manage all of this thermal flow internal to the phone. But what, um, but their sort of uh, promises on this also aren't completely outlandish. So they're saying with this system activated and when the phone is under thermal load, you could see a two to three degree drop Celsius on the performance of the phone. That doesn't sound like a lot, but that actually would be a pretty big help in just managing and normalizing the thermal characteristics of a sealed phone. So the heat doesn't have anywhere to go on a phone. You have to use all these uh, exotic materials, graphene, like I said, vapor chambers or heat piping. You've got to get heat to the back and through the screen so that it gets away from the SOC. Something like this would just kind of help even out those thermal characteristics. Um, I think that it was really funny because the press release says, oh, you could see like a two to three uh, degree drop Celsius, and that means you'll get three to four more degrees in your favorite games. And I, I feel like you needed to proofread that better. I'm pretty sure that's not what you meant to say. <laughs> I don't think you meant you will get three to four more degrees in your games. I think you meant three to four more frames per second on average. So uh, OnePlus PR... It just, it just needed a second pass. It just needed one additional kind of let's let's look at what we just said. A fresh pair of eyes. I know I'm I'm almost done with the revision on my book, and I'm going through like sentence by sentence with a scalpel. Like, did this really? Did I really write what I meant to say? And it is so hard going back to read over your own work. So again, just funny. One plus press release. I feel I think they got that wrong. <laughs> DGNL, how many degrees of those are separated from Kevin Bacon? Well, six, obviously. You're never more than six degrees away from, from Kevin Bacon. <laughs> um, Sore Hunter, also there's liquid inside the phone. A busted pipe would kill the phone. Still impressive, though. Again, this is a concept. And, and again, I mean, we've had vapor chambers, and technically a vapor chamber is a liquid storage solution that then heats up and vaporizes and tries to use that energy, uh, energy imbalance between the back of the phone, the vapor chamber, and the SOC to extract heat and get it flowing in a certain direction. Um, I believe there was also technically liquid cooling in the Lumia 950. Um, again, a similar construct on uh, uh, an idea of a limited form factor, limited size vapor chamber type heat distribution. So I don't want people to look at this concept and think like, it's like a liquid cooling pump similar to what's in your desktop. It's not that kind of liquid cooling, but there, there is material in there that is used in the process with a piezoelectric pump to extract heat from one part of the phone and get it to another part of the phone. Oh, I hope so. DTNL saying the one inch type sensor photography addendum to the book is going to be good. I've had to rewrite major sections of the book. 
So my last revision was actually in 2022. I did not, I mean, it was in 2021. I did not finish a 2022 revision of the book. And I really felt like, okay, I'm seeing some things here and I'm seeing some trends. Let me just wait. Um, and then for 2023, I'll, I'll add a bunch of things in. And I'm going back through and I'm reading from 2021. There has been enough changing in smartphone photography that I've had to reformat more significant portions of the book. I had sections in there where, like, if you go through and you read my book, there are things like, well, when I originally wrote this book back in 2015, it was like this. But now today, we're seeing this as a trend. And even over two years, that, that information is woefully out of date. Like, just fundamentally out of date. And even some, some passages where it's like, well, how would this come? Uh, this, obviously, your phone can't compare against a standalone camera. And you know what? That's not true anymore. It's very limited. It's very specific. But, yeah, you can make some direct optical comparisons between one-inch type sensors and micro four-thirds cameras. And so that information, out of date, I've got to find a different way of communicating that idea. So I've had to go over almost every single section of the book to better explain what the current trend in smartphone photography is. And, and from the 1 over 1.3 inch type sensor to the 1 inch type sensor is a more significant step than a lot of techies are willing to admit. I, I, you know, it took Apple all this time to catch up with a 1 over 1.3 inch type sensor just in time for Sony and Xiaomi to just like completely change the game. Um, Gormlord, will all this is the question we're going to go out on Gormlord's question here, and then uh, we can wrap all this this uh, mess of a podcast up. Will all flagships need active cooling in the near future? So here's one of the things that I really hope we can find a better balance on. Um, I don't think need is is the right word. Um, here's what I hope will happen. I've got the Xiaomi 13 here. The Xiaomi 13 has a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2. This has been a significant improvement in sustained performance with more reasonable power draw and better thermal management. But you can still run this phone hot. You can still get it to throttle. This is heavy compute power in a sealed up device. But when you get the phone out of the box, it has a balanced uh, scheduler. It has a balanced mode on, which is significantly restricting the upper upper tier of this SOC's performance. And I guarantee you, the vast majority of people who buy the Xiaomi 13 won't notice. In fact, it's still going to be an upgrade over any phone that they might have owned over the last two or three years. The performance characteristics are still ahead of the Snapdragon 860, uh, the Snapdragon 888 and 8 Gen 1, no contest. You're, you're not going to notice that. So what I think we really need to focus on are better, schedule, better CPU scheduling, better CPU core management and voltage management. And when you're going about your day, there is so little compute power that you really need to get through messaging, phone calls, text messages, social media, even using your cameras is using a different combination of coprocessors, ISPs. You're not using the CPU compute power of that phone. And so that's where I think we need to just get smarter about where are we applying heavy workload compute power? Where are we really putting that torque in? And where can we really back off? 
And where can we find additional power management gains like changing the voltage on the fly? Like, can we undervolt a phone and keep a reasonably consistent tier of performance that people won't even notice? And it's still fulfilling 120 hertz on the display and you're not getting a choppy interface. Then, <laughs> then when we want to use a phone more like a computer and really dig into those heavier compute tasks, I think we just need to additionally talk about power management. The Note 23 finally brings a few of those features that we've been championing on gaming phones and on Sony Xperia's. I think it's kind of funny. Now, Samsung Knights are really excited. Oh, this has like a, a basic charge separation, charge management option when I'm playing a game. If that feature mattered to you, it also should have mattered on a gaming phone or on an Xperia. Because let me tell you, charge separation is a huge deal. It helps reduce wear and tear on the battery. You keep a higher tier of performance. The phone's still going to run warm, but you're managing this better by not trying to charge the battery while you're using more horsepower from the phone. And then lastly, we could look at better accessories to manage all of this too. If we're really going to dock a phone and use it as a PC, why can't we make a better pad to do it? So I don't mean with wireless charging. This is my Nomad wireless charger. Um, I rarely keep this plugged in. It's now just kind of a phone stand. <laughs> this is overkill. It's a really fancy phone stand. Um, but this is kind of what I would want to see from a deck dock. But instead of a pad that will trap heat against a wireless uh, charging coil, what I would rather see instead is a thermoelectric cooler, like the pad on these little game coolers or the pad on my GameSir X3. So you plug the phone in and you mount it so it's properly cradled and it's not putting stress on the USB-C, it can get whatever power management it needs from chargers and so Why did my camera go all funky? But then you're really using the compute power of the phone and a cooling pad is helping manage the thermals internally so you're not cooking your battery or cooking your SOC. And then we could have tiers. If you really need that level of compute power and compute performance, a few accessories are not an outlandish ask. If you don't, and you can more reasonably use some of the thermal throttling that you're going to see, but you can still juice the phone for a short period of time, that's great too. And then the vast majority of consumers are never going to know that they're using the lower power mode on their phone anyway. <laughs> I mean, we talk about phone users, average consumers, their basic needs. Their basic needs are met by like a three-year-old mid-ranger SOC. Their needs are met and handled well. They would not notice the difference going back like three years to a Snapdragon 700 series. That's it. That's, that's our threshold for average. Um, I, I think it's really disappointing that we're still talking about the most expensive phones with very finicky engines. Like, we're talking about V12s, and most commuters need a four-cylinder or a hybrid. That, that's, that's a fundamentally different conversation. You know, like, no one is impressed by a to Toyota Corolla base model car's ability to run a quarter mile. Like, that's not what they use in stop-and-go bumper-to-bumper traffic. And we do this with phones, and we act like, oh, but, I mean, you need this because, you know, apps. Apps are hard to run. <laughs> They're really not. App developers are making their apps for like the vast majority of consumers who all own phones in the mid-range and entry level. The vast majority of Android phones are sold $400 and less, not 
over six hundred dollars. So I don't. Um, when we're talking about will all active will will all future phones need active cooling? I can f- imagine a scenario where a fifteen hundred dollar super premium high performance phone will benefit from having some kind of active cooling solution. You put a thermoelectric cooler on your desk and you will get so much more out of that SOC. And it's true. If you take a Red Magic, it has a fan built into the phone, you get a better sustained performance out of that phone. But the, you also have to look at what are, what are the work needs of that device. And I'm good on a OnePlus 11 playing like 20 or 30 minutes of a game like I'm sitting down, I'm just playing a game and then I'm done and I go on, go, you know, go on with my day. We're not getting to a point of significant thermal throttling in like 20 minutes of Android gameplay on Dead Cells, Undead Horde, Tesla versus Lovecraft, uh, Dust and Neon, Shredder's Revenge. Like I'm good. If I really need to sit down and game more, I can pop that phone into a controller, which is really going to dramatically improve the gaming experience and give me active cooling. So it really comes down to what workload do we claim we need? How long are we going to interact with that workload? And then from there, are we really going to see a benefit? But, you know, <laughs> Sore Hunter has it right here too. But Juan, what about the marketing? Oh, I gotta, I gotta stop. <laughs> Greg <laughs> laughing, uh, LMAO, my 845 still boots. <laughs> you can even run Android on a Snapdragon 845? Gasp shock. I'm really anxious to see. I, I kind of wish, like, if I were going to play with any of the Xiaomi's and not have the one-inch sensor, I'm actually kind of interested in the Xiaomi 13 Lite. Because that's the first uh, Snapdragon 7 Gen 1. Um, it's the first one that's actually made it into a phone. I'm kind of curious if that's really as close to the 8 Gen 1 as uh, Qualcomm was claiming it would be. But my voice is failing. I can actively feel it starting to fuzz out. So we got to stop. <laughs> so folks, uh, this was Pajama Podcast. We've got a ton of news coming out from MWC. I'm going to ask that you check out my buddy TK Bay. Uh, he's going to be putting together some shorts and some reels. Uh, he's going to be hitting the ground. In, uh, in, he's already hit the ground in Barcelona, doing some really cool stuff and playing with a ton of really fun gadgets. So check out what he's going to have to um, check out what he's going to be producing, because, again, he's got some really killer phone cameras to work from, too. Uh, for myself, uh, I'm going to try for Wednesday to put out my video on the Note 23 looking at these kind of ridiculous claims from Samsung about 200 megapixels because so far I'm not seeing good photographic evidence that it's really improving the photography on the phone. Um, so that, that should be coming Wednesday. I'm going to be putting together another video just talking about different gaming accessories for Steam Deck and for the Razer Edge. I've got a few videos that I'm looking at cobbling together, just looking at one inch camera sensor performance. And I might do a little just like, hey, this is what you get. I might have to use the 12S Ultra with the 13, the Xiaomi 13. So we've got a couple things that we're playing loose with. Um, and then I'm, I, I'm also going to be putting out a video on eSIMs, uh, just talking about travel and uh, staying connected um, with eSIMs. So there's a lot. There's a lot going on. MWC's in full swing. 
AR is going to be a really hot topic as we kind of close out the week. I think we're going to see a lot more on that too. So folks, um, thank you everybody for tuning in. This was, this was really fun. Uh, for, for a pajama podcast where I wasn't really in my pajamas, um, we, I never know like where we're going to ramble off. And these kinds of conversations are just really fun. Like just being able to kind of go with the flow and, and kind of piggyback on the chat especially when I'm always so far behind the chat and people answer the questions before I can even get to the chat. Um, It's really appreciated. This helps me start my week off so much more fun than if we were just kind of reading off all of the news, uh, the news links for the week. So uh, next week, we're going to be back into the more structured show. We'll have the recap from MWC. Um, We're going to have the news block and the gadget block and the subreddit plug. All of that's going to be back on back on point. But really, with all of this stuff coming out and all these crazy, exciting devices, I just don't want us to lose sight of what's fun. Right now, you've got a phone or a computer or some type of gadget that you really like using. And I just always want to take that moment to say, hey, have you done anything new with it lately? Have you tried anything different with it lately? That can be even more exciting, getting more out of what you currently own than always rushing off to try and buy the latest and greatest and keep up with the Joneses and and try and experience something, you, you end up kind of always having the same experience, even though you're getting all these new devices. It's something I've definitely found in my behavior as a tech reviewer. I get a new phone and I benchmark it and I use it and I take the same camera sample so I can compare and contrast. And then I'm like, wait a minute, for two years now, since we've been living in this, not fully two years, but since we've been living in this new house, I've been doing the same things at the same time on different phones. Instead, I should be doing different things with different phones. And I kind of had this like worldview twist. So I'm gonna try and have a little bit more fun instead of always just doing the same repetitive behaviors over and over and over again. That's not what makes phones interesting. That's not what makes gadgets or technology any fun. So I want you to have an amazing week getting more out of the technology that you already own. And I'd love to hear some comments. Hit me up on social media. Drop comments on the website, somegadgetguy.com. Tell me something this week that you did different with your phone. That's your challenge. That's your homework. I want to hear it. And and if I get some really great comments, I'll share them next week on the podcast. We'll start the podcast off derailing the podcast to to handle comments from this week's show. So folks, uh, be safe. Take care, take care of yourself so that you can continue to take care of others. I love this audience right now for just, I I know I'm talking to people who are really good tech neighbors. I'll catch you back next week for another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show on the SGGQA podcast channel. Be safe, take care. I love you all. I'll catch you back. Recording voiceover, spoken word, is truly one of my favorite activities. My second favorite hobby is photography. Now, the smartphone might be making us deaf, but we can't deny the awesome power of the phone as a platform for photography and multimedia creation. If you've been looking to improve your mobile photog skills, if you want to produce more professional content, or you're just looking to take your family photos to the next level, I wrote a book to help you out with that. Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs is available on Amazon Kindle. Walking through the basic terminology of photography, covering the settings on your camera, discussing composition and inspiration, 
And I even include a long list of exercises and challenges to really hone your skills, all with some helpful example photos and diagrams. Search for Take Better Photos, smartphone photography for noobs on Amazon, or use the quick link bit.ly slash betterphotosbook to grab your copy today.